Hello, and welcome to Gaming Fix, episode 102 on this December 29th, 2019. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, This episode is going to be a little bit different than usual. Instead of us all together because of the holidays, uh, we did a bit of a clip show for you. So what that means is we're all going to be talking about our top things of the year, whether that be games, movies, books, what have you. So I hope we hope you enjoy it. And thank you to everyone who entered our giveaway uh, for episode 100 over on Twitter and emailed in and stuff to join. It meant a lot. And uh, hopefully we can do something like that for you again in the future. Uh, So get subscribed to the podcast if you aren't already and head over to uh, Twitter at Fix Podcast to follow us and keep up to date with the podcast, you know, when new stuff goes up and whatever we're tweeting about. And if we have any more giveaways for you. And I think that's it. We'll be back next week with our Game of the Year episode. It's going to be fiery, passionate, long. Uh, So you won't want to miss that. It'll be a lot of fun. Alliances will be forged. Friendships will be broken. All that good stuff. So without further ado, let's get on with it and hear what the Gaming Fix crew liked from this year or maybe didn't like i don't know what people wrote talked about i haven't heard it yet all right thanks everyone hi everybody this is allison and i am here to present my own personal top 10 list uh i feel very awkward doing this by myself but hopefully this will be a good one because i am going to be talking about my top 10 indie games of 2019 um So I was thinking about whether I wanted to talk about regular games or indie games, although saying regular games feels like it's derogatory in some way. Um, But I was realizing that really my biggest goal as somebody who talks about video games into a microphone sometimes is to promote indie games and to promote lesser known developers and creators. So that's why I decided that my own personal list would be Uh, Top 10 indie games. Uh, I'm hoping that in my uh, uh, our game of the year discussions uh, as an overall group, I can put forth my um, opinions so that I can push forward games like Tetris 99 and Fire Emblem Free Houses, which are probably up there as two of my favorite games of the year. But I just wanted to... um, Make my list highlight some games that you might not have heard of, or if you've heard of, you maybe decided you haven't played yet. So for that, uh, here we go. This is also in uh, no particular order because I am a coward, and also just because my goal right now is to promote games rather than uh, rank. So the first game is the first alphabetically, which is Art School. Uh, as spelled art S-Q-O-O-L. It's probably the weirdest game on this list. So what a place to uh, start here. But the game is basically you are in a 
fake art school, drawing pictures and finding tools for a very uh, abstract kind of school and an abstract kind of teacher in an abstract world. So it's really like where you're meandering around making weird art based off of weird nonsense. It's judged by your professor, but you're just like, you don't know why it's judged that way. And it's, it's, it's just a weird, weird game that kind of uh, defies many conventions of games and defies many, um, just defies everything, basically. Um, it's, so it's very much not for anyone, if, especially if you're somebody who wants something like, uh, kind of, like some sense of progression beyond getting art tools, or if you want something more concrete. I honestly, it's hard. It's a game that I feel like is hard to recommend to a lot of people um, because it's so so dang weird. But uh, for somebody who wants something uh, um, more experimental and the developer, um, his art is is really weird, but interesting, uh, then I would definitely check it out if you can. Uh, right now, uh, if you're listening to this right now, uh, Steam sale, it has it on sale for three bucks. So it's I think it's definitely worth a shot if you're looking for something strange. But um, if you're looking for something, uh, you know, more conventional, maybe not it. But if you're looking for something that want, like kind of stretches the definition of game, <laughs> then then go for art school. Uh, my next game is going to be Astrologaster, which is another which is another strange game, but it is a lot more uh I guess playable. <laughs> uh, Astrologaster, you are basically uh, playing as a real life quack doctor who is a person who really existed, who you're trying to um, basically uh, tell people's uh, medical issues based off of the stars <laughs> for whatever that is. Um, so a lot of that is kind of intuiting what might be wrong. So there are certain things where with a modern understanding of what medicine is, you, you might uh, pick an option. You go, OK, I think this sounds like like you're having heart issues or like you're having um, digestion issues. But there but there are also like wild options that you could choose if you just want to be going at the full quack doctor <laughs> experience. Uh, but one of the most interesting things is uh, the uh, presentation. The art is really interesting. The music, there, there is like a full choir that's doing a, uh, that is um, narrating the start of every little vignette of you talking with them. Um, and just the writing is so funny and interesting. The, the, the whole presentation is amazing. And I really, really wish more people had chances to play it. Um, it's genuinely extremely funny throughout the entirety of the game. And it is just a really fun, well-presented thing with a great story, fun characters. Um, I actively liked all of the characters. I actively laughed several times while playing Astralogaster, even though I still have not finished it yet. I think in part because I just don't want there to be no more Astralogaster. 
but it is is basically you know kind of choose your own adventure based off of the stars based off of medical issues it's it's so weird but I think it is a, an absolute delight and it is unlike so many other games with such a um flair for the dramatic uh in terms of presentation so I wholeheartedly recommend Astrologaster as one of my favorite games of the year it's definitely in my personal top 10 um and something that I think that you guys should all um check out if you haven't seen it especially if you like kind of interesting games uh especially with what great production uh, the next game I'm going to uh, talk about is uh, extremely different uh, because it doesn't have much of a story to begin with. Uh, the game is uh, Orager, which is a game. It's kind of like an idle game in that it's very incremental. You start out on a very small island and you get uh, re- you have to harvest resources and then use those resources to build more things, to get more resources, to build more things. And it just kind of keeps going on in that kind of cycle of you getting more um, spaces, you building more stuff up, you exploring more of the area. And it, it just keeps going. Um, it's very much a game that's uh, built to kind of um, get you into that kind of addictive loop. But it works really well. And if you're somebody like me that kind of likes the uh, idle game loop, but doesn't necessarily want to get into a uh, um, free to play type idle game, uh, which I have a couple on my phone, so I can't say that I don't play that. But just wants that kind of uh, um, feeling of satisfaction, of exploring, of incremental growth, of going wow, I was able to build a much larger pickaxe so that I could get stronger, uh, get more ores quickly so that I could build more things. That kind of loop, um, it's it's a really good, fun way for that. Um, I've played it on PC, but I also had to buy it on Switch because it is just so much of an addiction um, but I think it's a really fun game, um, especially since it's not very expensive and it, it kind of fits that very, very satisfying type of gameplay loop. So I, uh, it's very different from Astrologaster, but I think it's also very, very fun. So Forager is the next game that I have recommended. Uh, following game is, uh, Baba is You, which is a game that I am too stupid for, but I wish I was smarter for because it is such a uh, unique game in terms of mechanics. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, you, it is very simplistic visually, but you're basically set up as uh, a creature, usually Baba, which is like a small um, white creature thing with four legs. I don't know what it's supposed to be, like maybe a sheep. Maybe, <laughs> but all of the rules for how the world works uh, is on the screen. So, for example, like Baba is you means that you interact as Baba. Wall is stop means that you can't go through the wall. Flag is win means that hitting the flag is the winning condition. However, for so many of these, you can move around the rules and you can change how the game works based off of the rules. 
So you changing the game rules and mechanics and figuring out a way to win is how you go through each stage. So, for instance, you might change the rules so that the wall is win, so that you hit anything in the wall. Or wall is you, so that when you walk, uh, that you can go as the wall and uh, have much more of you in a larger space. There's, it's, it's one of those games that's really, really tough. But when you figure out the solution of something, even in earlier levels... It is extremely satisfying and makes you feel very smart until you get stuck and then you feel like the biggest idiot in the world. It's, but it's just one of those games that is so unbelievably inventive and I am so excited that it exists as a game, even if uh, there are so many levels that I have not gotten to. Uh, but it is, it is such a cool game. It's a very cool puzzle game. If, if you're interested in that kind of um, game where you're defining the rules or you're uh, kind of it, it challenges you really to think outside the box in a really fun way. So if that sounds really interesting to you, I would totally recommend Baba is You because it is such a cool puzzle. Uh, think outside the box type of game, even though I uh, <laughs> wish I was smarter to be able to deal with it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very cool game. Uh, so the next game I would like to talk about, uh, that's also very cool, but kind of, I feel like maybe, uh, makes me feel a little bit more accessible through it is Katana Zero, which I also have not finished, but it's a game that I am hoping to get back to, especially at the end of the year, uh, just play some more Katana Zero. Basically, it's the a type of action platformer you have, uh, a wide variety of tools at your disposal. Like you can uh, uh, basically dodge attack. You can uh, use your sword, uh, which can also deflect bullets. And you also have a meter that can slow time. But it allows you to uh, basically go through the level and feel extremely cool all the time uh so the levels are pretty small and since you uh one hit equals death for you you have to go through these levels perfectly so it, it'll it, uh causes you to go through a lot of um trial and error uh going making sure that you're figuring things out right using all of the environments to its full advantage um for example if there's a uh, switch to turn off the uh, uh, lasers in an area and you turn them off because you've had to go through, maybe you could turn them on and defeat people with them. Um, but it also shows you uh, as your best uh, or it shows you rather how you can, how you got through the entire thing. Uh, so it is one of those games that is designed to make you uh, work through the entire levels, but feel very cool doing it. Uh, the other game that is, uh, I was kind of debating which ones to talk through about, about on this list, um, because, uh, I just, uh, picked up my friend Pedro off of the Switch, uh, through the eShop store, uh, or eShop sale, rather, but I feel like Katana Zero just has such an interesting aesthetic. It has a very cool story and, just every aspect of it makes you feel very, very cool, uh, very stylish. Um, 
So I've seen people compare it to Hotline Miami, uh, which uh, especially the um, kind of one hit, you need to do it perfectly, otherwise you're dead uh, aspect of it makes sense. But I I personally think Katana Zero is extremely cool and is something that I would really like to get uh, played more of because it was that my time with it is, is just very, very cool. So definitely recommend you to pick up uh, Katana Zero, especially if you're looking for something that will make you feel uh, once you once you get through it, feel like a badass, uh, which I don't normally feel in my day to day life. So uh, definitely feel that way when I play Katana Zero, though. Um, I feel like, wow, I feel like I really uh, organize these in a weird way so that they kind of all uh play off of each other in a weird way because the next game I am talking about is Assemble with Care, which is on the uh, Apple Arcade, uh, which as a side note, Apple Arcade, I don't know how much I uh, was going to love Apple Arcade as a service until I picked it up uh, earlier this year and realized, okay, there are so many good games on here and I love this uh all these games that are made for mobile but are not focused on um heavy monetization either through uh microtransactions or advertisements or things like that so uh biggest surprise of the year especially in terms of uh games as an indie game fan is apple arcade but assemble with care was a really really cool game it's basically a visual novel type game where you go through the entire story, but with each chapter is um, emphasized with a game, or with like kind of a mini game, sort of, where you, or like a puzzle game. It's hard to describe, really, because you are fixing objects to progress through the story. So, for example, you might be fixing a projector or a Game Boy or something like that. And uh, interacting with the characters and with the objects that you uh, that you're going through. It's a short. It's a very short game. Is I'd say short but sweet. Uh, but it's it just feels the the entire feeling of it is really cozy. Um, the story is very sweet, and I feel like they do a good job of dealing with or making the subject matter of the actual gameplay which is fixing various objects uh fit in with the overall story uh where you're not just repairing objects but dealing with repairing relationships uh, and how objects interact with relationships themselves so it's it's super super cool uh like i said it's really quite short i think i finished it in a couple of hours over the course of an afternoon but it's it's just a very pleasant uh, little game that I am so happy exists, and I'm so happy that we have Apple Arcade to thank for. So totally, totally a uh, good game to check out. Uh, the next game is uh, very different from a game where you fix things. Instead. It's a game where you completely destroy things, and that is an Untitled Goose Game. Uh, now, Untitled Goose Game, I feel like, is one of those games where so much of the game has become the memes surrounding the game. Like, Untitled Goose Game 
has become more often than not associated with memes. The goose is popping up in everything, which is very good. And I very much agree with. However, the game itself is really quite fun um, where you play as the goose and your goal is to basically sow discord in the people of this town. Uh, kind of, It's a very much a it's a puzzle game, kind of like a puzzle adventure type game where you're going off of the checklist of things that you want to do to miss, mess up people's lives. Uh, but it really rewards ex- exploration Um messing around with things and one of the things that i think is really really remarkable about untitled goose game is how it gets you into the mindset of the goose (laughs) where uh when i play a lot of role-playing games like if i play a dragon age or mass effect or something that has kind of a morality system i skew completely towards the uh good person points. <laughs> I do not want to choose things that are mean. I want to be a good person in games, no matter what. Whereas Untitled Goose Game, it, I even though there are so many options where you can mess with stuff and it doesn't benefit you at all, I found myself more and more role-playing as this just shitty goose, <laughs> just completely ruining the lives of everyone around me in a way that I just don't in video games. It was it was so much fun and the puzzles themselves are good, but also just being able to uh wander around this uh this town, uh this village and just mess with people. The sandbox game play of it is just so nice. Um and there are just times where I would mess with somebody, for example, I would get somebody locked into something and I would just honking them not for any particular gameplay reason but just because it felt right to just decide to honk at that point it was that it was so odd in a way that maybe role play is being just this big asshole but it was so much fun so it's 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 a game that even though you've probably seen a lot of it in terms of memes in terms of people just ch- talking about untitled goose game it is, it is genuinely a really fun game to play and definitely something I would recommend picking up, um, especially if you just want to be role play as a jerk. Uh, so the next game that I would like to chat about is uh, another Apple Arcade game, but I think that you can get it on uh, Epic Store and um, maybe a couple of other storefronts might be coming this team sometime soon. I don't know. It's called What the Golf. Uh, which is a very weird game that uh, has you that's ostensibly a golf game, but it's anything but. And it's hard. I don't it's hard to talk about it without spoiling it because it's uh, I, I feel like it's a game that's really fun about discovery. But you basically are playing through various levels of golf as uh, as a golf ball, but also playing as different things, or you're hitting different things. It's it's very hard to describe, but it is so weird and goofy. It made me laugh quite a few times. Um, it is it is just so... It, it's a game that genuinely is very, very funny and genuinely really silly, but it works so well. Um, it's, it's a game that... It, it never overstays its welcome, and it never feels like, okay, I'm... I'm it, I've gotten 
used to what the joke is. Like, because the second that you get used to, like, okay, I get it, it, it will introduce something completely new, and you'll just be, like, surprised again. It's, it's, it's very, very delightful in general, and I, uh, I, I just think it's really wonderful, and I definitely gave to play. It's not quite to the level of, uh, I can't believe I love this golf game, like, uh, golf story, which I am in love with and uh, can't wait for sports story to come. But uh, because it's, it's really less of a golf game than golf story and more of just like weird pseudo puzzle game, uh, just exploring and playing around. It's, 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 it's very fun. It's also on. Uh, I played it through Apple Arcade, which is a very nice way to play it because then you don't have to pay money for it. So. It's what the golf is a very silly game that I really recommend. Uh, the next game is a game that I really need to play more of. I've played a uh, few hours of it so far. Uh, let, let's see if I can find out on, on my Steam how long I played this game. Uh, <laughs> uh, the answer is not enough. I've okay. I've played about seven hours of it, so not enough, but. Hopefully enough to allow me to recommend it. It's Disco Elysium. It's <laughs> it's a game where it's like basically a top down uh, game where uh, you're basically a detective and you go through all sorts of different weird stat checks for uh, for basic things like conversations and uh, asking people questions and. Uh, exploring and interacting with the world that you're in. It's, it's, it's a very cool RPG type game that definitely avoids things like combat and focuses more on things like, uh, dialogue and, uh, exploration and various other stat checks. It is, uh, it can be an extremely difficult game in terms of, not really difficult, uh, I just personally set up, up my character so that I have extremely low morale. So anytime my morale gets hit, I get uh, I get killed. <laughs> I get a morale uh, game over, which is not my favorite thing <laughs> in the world. So I hopefully need to get back in, get myself a couple more morale points and hopefully finish this game. But it is just such a cool you is such a cool, cool world that they've established it is a cool RPG. Uh, the writing's great. The uh, it's it's genuinely funny. The characterization's really really good. It's it's one of those games that I really really hope has a lot more um, a lot of impact in the industry because I would love to see more games like uh, Disco Elysium come out. Uh, more games that go for things that aren't aren't necessarily violent, but go for more. Uh, char- uh, building characters in terms of uh, in terms of conversation, in terms of other various uh, mechanics. It's 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 just such a cool game. It's it's very very cool. I feel like a lot of people are talking about it, and it's uh is is totally justified. Uh, Disco Elysium is super super cool. I would love to play more of it, or I need to play more of it. And I would love to see more games like this come out because it is rad. Uh, 
And so the last game that I am going to bring up on my list uh, of indie games and hope possibly my favorite one that I left for last. I don't know if this is the case, but it's Lay the Spire, which is a, a deck building kind of card uh, roguelike to where you go through different uh, uh, rounds of games like like in a roguelike where you where you go through. But you also build a deck of cards and you uh, move forward based off of that where you're building the deck of cards and moving forward through the game. It's I'm so bad at describing this, but it is it is remarkable how fun it is. I deck building games are games that I would love to get into, but I just get so stressed out about building decks and about kind of what the meta is and things like that. So having it be a rogue like really makes it a lot more accessible, especially for people who like me who aren't necessarily uh, into deck building games. But it, it just there's so many different ways that make the gameplay work so fun, so well. Uh, and uh, there's there's so many different ways that you can build your deck to kind of work with each other. It's it's just a really, really cool game. It's very, very addicting. I played quite a bit of it this year and uh, just talking about it. I'm like, Dang, should I go play a little bit more to play the spire after I've done talking about this? Because it is very, very cool. Um, it's, it, I feel like when, when you, uh, or at least me, when I find a roguelike that is particularly compelling, I know that it will be maybe one of my most played games of all time. Uh, The Binding of Isaac, uh, is by far my most played game of all time. Uh, and a lot of other roguelikes, um, or roguelites like, uh, Rogue Legacy, Spelunky, uh, FTL like those are games that I've played a ton of times and I feel like uh Slay the Spire um has entered that pantheon of really replayable really fun well written well played like well played games uh in the roguelike sphere but by doing something completely different which with the um card building mechanic which makes it um not just really replayable, but also kind of relaxing in a way um, so that, you know, you're, you're not necessarily having to do kind of um, fast gameplay or anything like that. It, you can just sit down and play through a level of Slay the Spire. So Slay the Spire is probably my favorite indie game of the year and probably my most uh, recommended one of the year. But uh, like I said, there are so many great indie games. All of the ones I... Uh, Checked, I listed are ones I would recommend to a variety of people, but even still, there are so many indie games that I am sure I missed. Um, so if you have other games that you would like us to talk about, uh, go to Fix Podcasts on Twitter, uh, FYX Podcasts on Twitter. Um, I'm personally on Twitter at W R I T E R S E R E N Y T Y. Uh, and I would love, love, love to hear more of the great indie games of 2019 that you have or that you've liked um, and just kind of spread the love for indie games in 2019 and especially move into the 2020s, uh, celebrating all of the great indie games that have come out and are continuing to come up. So uh, thanks and have a great uh, end of year and happy new year. Hi, hey everyone. This is Pat. 
Um, so for this year's game of the year, we decided that we were going to do um, a little recording of each of our own personal game of the year lists or something fun like that. Um, the week before we do the big old everyone argues for 10 hours podcast that is sure to come um, later in uh, the beginning of January. So um, this is my top 10 game of the year list. Uh, I'm playing it pretty uh, simple with this. I have 10 ordered games and a couple of honorable mentions that I want to start with. Um, so uh, for my list, except for one of the honorable mentions, everything did come out this year. Um, and the first one of those honorable mentions that I want to talk about a little bit is Death Stranding. So um, Death Stranding is a I'm not much of a huge Kojima fan generally. Um, I like the first two Metal Gear Solid games, but uh, I'm not really a big fan of three or four, and I never got around to playing five. Uh, I'm sure I'd love it, but uh, and I have never really played Zone of the Enders um, or or uh, Boktai, um, and so I'm not a huge fan of Kojima's prior work. Uh, in fact, I've been pretty critical of his work in the past, um, and I think uh, some of those criticisms are still true with Death Stranding, you know, ways that he handles uh, women in his game, the way that he uh, is kind of beats you over the head with certain metaphors and stuff, I think is present in Death Stranding. Um, but with that said, I also think that Death Stranding is one of the coolest games I played this year and a really interesting um, and uh, it's it's a walking simulator, but it's like super advanced, right? Like that that's the line that has gone around from a couple of folks have said that. Um, and I think that really works. I, I really enjoy um, the the ways in which that game pushes on you to um, to to think about your environment, to think about how you traverse. Traversal is a big thing for me in games, uh, and I really enjoyed it and and have, have enjoyed it in Death Stranding. The reason it's the honorable mention on my list is because. Uh, I haven't finished it yet, and rather than push myself to uh, to push, push, push to all the way to the end of the game, um, what I decided was just to enjoy my time with it, take it slower. Um, we have uh, Andre finished it, so he can kind of speak to whether it fits for certain categories in our game of the year. And I know I've played enough of it to to feel okay putting it high on our group list. Um, but for myself, I wanted to finish it before I I put it on my list. I'm guessing that were I to um, if I like it as much at the end as I do now, I would probably end up somewhere around like a four on my list, three or four. It's cause I think it's really good. Um, so the second honorable mention for me is a game called Baba is you. Um, this one didn't crack my top 10 just because I played it kind of late. Uh, I just started, just picked it up a couple weeks ago and, um, I feel really good about my list, frankly. Um, I don't really feel like I want to, um, to it just, just barely missed cracking that top 10, but I think Baba is you is a fascinating puzzle game. It's really fun, really interesting. I highly recommend it to anyone looking for, um, a really cerebral, interesting game. Um, and, uh, and you should just check it out. I mean, it, it, the stuff it plays with, with programming, um, it teaches you things about programming that are really, really cool. Uh, so I don't have that much more to say about it other than it is, uh, really pretty fun, remarkable little thing. Um, and pretty in the, in the, uh, <laughs> in the sense of its design, less in the sense of its visuals. Um, and then the last honorable mention for me, uh, before we move on to the actual top 10 is, uh, star Wars battlefront two, which is a game that actually came out uh, at this point, a couple years ago. 
Um, but it's been really well supported over the course of this year. I hated that game less than most people when it came out and um, they have done nothing but improve it. And I think it's a really fantastic platform now for star Wars video gaming. Um, and I hope that it continues to grow and build uh, into 2020 because it is an extremely fun game. And I have had so much fun playing it by myself and with friends um, with my partner now. Um, and it just is, it's a blast. And if you're, any kind of Star Wars fan, you should really pick it up because um, it's it's extremely fun to play. Um, so with that, we'll move on to the top 10. Number 10 on my list is a uh, game from Respawn Entertainment called Apex Legends. Um, you have probably heard of it. Um, so coming into this year, I was a little bit burned out on the Battle Royale thing. Um, I played a lot of PUBG when that game was kind of blowing up. Um, I played... I've played a fair bit of Fortnite in the past. Um, I tried out, you know, Ring of Elysium and a lot of those uh, those other uh, uh, battle royale games. And I was hitting the point where, you know, I just was starting to think maybe I was done with the genre. And then along came Apex Legends. Um, it's been one of the it was one of the coolest weeks in uh, my gaming memory when we went from finding out that Respawn had a new game coming out to finding out that it was a competitive multiplayer focused game that was free to play to with character driven stuff, which is kind of like that part of it is my jam to finding out that it was coming out in like a couple of days. Um, and it was really fun to get some rally, some friends together to play it. Um, you know, I've played it with, I think I played it with Andre. I know I played it with Alex. I played it with, um, with some friends of mine. Um, and then I kind of fell off and, you know, we won a couple games. I've won a couple games with a couple friend groups and then sort of fell off of playing. Um, but recently I reinstalled or didn't have to reinstall because I never, I never did uninstall it. But recently I played a couple rounds of it just to see if it still felt as good as when I, uh, when it first came out and it totally does. I could easily see falling right back into that game if a few friends wanted to, to get back into it. So, um, it is, uh, it is a pretty easy number 10 for me on this list. Number nine is a game from a company called Frogwares called the sinking city. Um, the singing city is a weird one because it has a lot of flaws. Uh, it's, it's a game I couldn't stop thinking about. So, you know, it's a Lovecraft game, uh, who himself was a pretty awful person who wrote some pretty interesting stuff. Um, some of which is also awful. Some of which is in my opinion, um, very good horror. Uh, some of my favorite horror, despite the problematic source that it comes from. Um, and the sinking city, uh, is a game that, uh, most of the time when games try to tackle Lovecraft, they just leave the the bad parts out. They leave the racism out. They leave um, the misogyny out. Whereas the sinking city tries to tackle some of that head on. Uh, and it's not always successful. Sometimes it, it sort of drops the ball. Sometimes it is a little too heavy handed or handles things with too light a touch. Uh, but all that said, I think it has really interesting characters and I think they really tried to do something with that setting that no one has really tried before. Um, and I think it's a smart game in spite of some, you know, missteps in terms of um, pacing and, and uh, characterization. Uh, and of course, just, you know, gameplay and technically wise, it's it's uh, it's got its rough spots, to say the least. Com- the combat in that game was something I went from hating to loving to thinking is to thinking is pretty OK. Uh, but, you know, I think it's worth playing. And I think if you're interested in um in that setting from a more intellectual perspective it's it's 
maybe the best game to to uh to try to tackle that that I can that I can think of. Um Eternal Darkness and you know the old Call of Cthulhu game is good are good, but yeah, it's it's a contender, I think, for for best game in that sort of uh setting and, and eldritchy horror y genre. So yeah, I, I, I loved it and uh that's that's why I have it up at my number nine in spite of some flaws. My number eight, um, which tells you about something about my feelings on the rest of this list, is Slay the Spire. Um, Slay the Spire from uh, Megacrit Games uh, is really one of the coolest video game card games that I've ever seen. Um, it is a phenomenally good game. Just, uh, just infinitely fun and replayable and interesting. Um, I played a lot of it this year uh, and I played it on my, at my desktop. This wasn't even a game that I was like pulling out my switch for. This is a game that I was playing, dedicating, like sitting at my computer time to play. And I really, really, really love it. Uh, I think it was also uh, fun to see so many people get into deck building games for the first time. Um, It's, as someone who plays a lot of tabletop games, it's fun for me to see where people uh, click with certain elements from tabletop and where they they bounce off. And Slay the Spire has a lot of um, very classic deck building tabletop elements like um, using resources to get rid of cards to increase efficiency and uh, things like that. Um, so I really enjoyed seeing other people take to it or other people bounce off of it. And in any case, seeing people... Uh, comment on how unique it is uh in a lot of cases made me kind of chuckle and and, um, wish that they would uh themselves play some more uh card games uh physical card games but that's not to say that slay the spire doesn't deploy that stuff in some really unique and interesting ways and um is one of my favorite card games video card video game card games ever uh and it is at number eight on my list this year so number seven oh number seven number seven is a game that I didn't think I was going to like um, people just kept talking about it and I made fun of its series for so long. Um, and I'm talking of course about kingdom hearts. Um, I have a close personal friend who it's their favorite uh, video game series ever. And I laughed at it for a long time, like a lot of other people. So earlier this year, I kind of, at the end of last year, earlier this year, I kind of decided to set off on a bit of a journey through Kingdom Hearts, and I played everything on the um, 1.5 and 2.5 collections. Uh, so Kingdom Hearts, Kingdom Hearts 2, um, I played uh, Birth by Sleep, I played Dream Drop Distance, um, I played everything that you could play on those discs, I watched the videos for the stuff that you couldn't play, dabbled a bit in the mobile game, and then I ultimately played Kingdom Hearts 3, and I freaking loved all of it um i thought it was uplifting and hopeful and fun and the characters are um, quirky and wonderful and the world that it takes place in is um full of just a kind of magic that i think is really captivating um and i think it's too bad that that franchise gets the the rap that it does because i think it's a it's it's a lot of the quirkiness of it are is what is so charming about it. Like I hear people complain about the pacing of the dialogue and stuff like that. And I think that that is core to what makes the game um, so endearing. Uh, 
And so I think that it is worth checking out um, if you have any affinity for the source material. I think Kingdom Hearts 3 itself is the best playing game in the series. I think that game, unfortunately, uh, hides its fun behind the hard difficulty. Um, the the kind of, quote, normal mode is extremely easy and not very fun, uh, whereas the harder proud mode, which I played it on, um, you can't just mash for the entire game, like a lot of people talk about being able to do. And it's just a it's a more fun experience that's that's more rewarding without being actually that hard. Um, I think that it is a it's just a it's just a well crafted end to parts of the story that leave the door open for um, for some for a lot more. Um, there are definitely some issues with the end, and I'm not going to say that it's perfect. But uh, I I loved my time with the entire series and. Um, if I, and Kingdom Hearts 3 is kind of emblematic of that. My, my placement of it on this list is sort of a, um, a placeholder for the whole series and, and what a wonderful ride it was to play through them. And that's saying something when you're talking about playing through multiple role-playing games um, in, in the space of a few months, uh, <laughs> which I did, uh, and not getting tired and being ready to jump on to the next one as soon as possible. So uh, I love that game. And it is my number seven. And then so number six is was a huge surprise for me. I think uh, I remember seeing it at E3 last year briefly, or maybe it was this year at the PC game show. I can't remember, but um, it is uh, Gunfire Games Remnant from the Ashes. So uh, Remnant is quite an interesting thing. Gunfire's other game of note recently has been Darksiders three, which isn't the most well-received thing. Um, I played a little bit of that and, uh, and, and actually didn't think it was as bad as most people did, but remnant is a totally different thing. Um, it has a lot of similar stylistic things from a visual perspective, but, um, but very different from, from a gameplay perspective. And it is probably up there. It might be my favorite co-op game actually. Come to think of it, um, there, there's a there, the game that's one higher than it is technically also a co-op game, but Remnant um, uh, is playing it with friends is so rewarding and fun. I just loved, you know, I played it with a few different friends and played through the entirety of that game, and um, and it was it's just wondrous. I mean, it's a game that procedurally generates, um, or I shouldn't even say procedural because it's it's. I believe its chunks are hand built, but the way it arranges them is random for you. Um, and it rolls you a world and then you, you get to see a limited selection of equipment and, and gear and stuff. Um, and so then you can go hunting in other players worlds to try to collect everything, which is something I still haven't done. And just talking about it now, it makes me want to go back and do that. Um, there's, you know, special ways to kill bosses, to farm specific parts from them to get specific kinds of weapons. So you have to try to do special kills on certain bosses to, to get the, 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 the equipment you want. It has a really inventive, incredibly deep, like the, the art direction and design of the world is so cool. Um, and, and I just hope they make, I hope they make a remnant too, like sooner rather than later, because um, it, it does kind of crib a lot of stuff from dark souls with the way that it handles things like bonfires and, and resting and, dying and losing stuff. And, you know, that's, that's all been kind of done before, but it combines that with really, really solid co-op play and really good shooting, like, and melee. The game is just perfect at that stuff. Um, 
And, and I, I honestly, at the point that I played it, it was easily in my top three. Uh, and, and, um, again, and I'll say it again, but it's just goes to show how great the rest of this year was, but, um, everyone should play remnant basically. Like it, it's just so good. It's such a good game. I love it. If you have friends to play with, play it with, do it. If you don't, it's still totally playable and enjoyable. So I, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And it is my, uh, number six. So number five is a game that I have kind of a, um, played for a long time. So it was weird to see it hit 1.0. Um, and that is Dauntless from, uh, Phoenix Labs. Um, so I've tried and failed to get into Monster Hunter many times. Um, Monster Hunter World, I kind of got further in than I ever had before, but I still ultimately bounced off of it. Um, and, uh, Dauntless kind of comes at the concept of the, that sort of hunting genre with a little bit more, um, arcadiness and a little more simplicity. And that really helped me get into it. Um, so it's a game that you can play with friends or, um, it has also the like really, really good matchmaking, which is something that monster hunter still doesn't have. Uh, and it is really inviting and, fun to learn to play um, has a lot of different weapons. There's tons of different things to make and craft. It really does crib directly from monster hunter in terms of its, um, its progression and gameplay loop, but it also um, creates its enemies are a little different than monster hunter, whereas monster hunter really leans into like, what if these things were real? Dauntless is more about providing you a really cool boss fight every time. So enemies have very have, have more predictable patterns and attacks and stuff than what is in Monster Hunter, but it also means that you kind of can learn fights in a way that is really really satisfying, um, which you can do in Monster Hunter as well. But I like the way that it's handled in Dauntless. So um, it's a really really good game if you're looking to get into the genre, and I just think they have supported it so well, um, and it finally hit 1.0 this year and. Uh, and and I'm really, really happy for the team. Um, I think it sucks that there's uh, uh, we live in a world where they have to um, ask for unpaid volunteers to do work on the game. That's one thing that kind of frustrated me around the end of the years. I, I never knew that that was something that was going on. But that's also a thing that happens with Warframe and some other really strong free-to-play games. So um, I would... Uh, encourage you to push back against that stuff when you see it because um, people's labor should be compensated. Um, but at the same time, uh, I also don't know how the inner workings of that studio go. And I don't, I've heard from translators in expressing this. I've heard from translators saying that it's something that they really enjoy doing and it's a hobby for them and it helps them practice and learn languages. So um, I decided not to, to move it from my list uh, despite having some of those misgivings because I think it is uh, still, it's a really brilliant game um, and you should try it because it's on like literally everything. It's the best example of cross play. I think that exists because you can seamlessly play with all of your friends. Um, you know, maybe Fortnite does it even a little better than that, but because it's co-op, there's no skill adjustment of using a controller or keyboard and mouse. It's playable with both. Um, and uh, really fun with both, and you can carry your progress on your account across all the different platforms. So that is my number five, Dauntless from Phoenix Labs. The next up on the list is um, number four, um, and it's a little game called Jedi Fallen Order. So Fallen Order is a very Soulsy, 
um, actually very Sekiro-y with, uh, it's kind of like poise posture thing going on. Um, lightsaber combat game from respawn entertainment, um, two respawn entertainment games on this list. Um, and it's weird because, uh, when I first was getting into it, I really loved it. And then I hit a point where I was just very frustrated with it. Um, but ultimately I ended up coming back around and, and, and loving the hell out of it. I think it's one of the best star Wars games ever made in a year that was kind of the year of star Wars in a lot of ways for me. Um, I think it, it, it did a great job of creating a compelling cast of characters, um, both on your side and against you. Um, it's, it's a really fun and uh, engaging combat system. Um, it was a game that made me want to play it on harder difficulties, which is cool. Uh, so I bumped it, I bumped it up and had a really good time playing it on sort of the hard difficulty. Um, it's challenging at times. I think that the lightsaber customization actually ended up being way more fun than I thought it was going to be um, kind of going in. Cause it doesn't do anything to the gameplay, but it, it, it just gives you the ability to sort of personalize a cosmetic item that you don't even see up close that often. But uh, I loved it either way. Um, and being able to pick like the color of my saber and all that stuff, is just sort of um, the territory of uh, star Wars dream games. I do wish that they would uh, kind of incorporate stuff a little bit more in terms of like loot and RPG elements and give you the ability to create a character where you're kind of, it makes more sense. That's why you would build a personalized saber, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Fallen Order is just, it's a great game. I like the story. I love the characters. I think the environments are extremely interesting to traverse and and explore. I always felt like there was something just off the beaten path for me to look for. Um, And uh, I love the way that it tells you like you've got, eight out of 10 chests in this area because it meant that I could systematically clear that map and hundred percent the game. And that was really, really fun. Um, so it's a pretty easy number four for me. Next up on the list for me is my number three. And that is control from remedy entertainment. Um, control is a game that had some division on our podcast. Um, but is widely, I think, pretty well liked. And I'm really excited to see it winning awards places because um, it's probably one of my favorite games of the decade. Um, it's It draws heavy inspiration from the SCP containment logs, uh, which is something you should Google if you're not familiar with it. Uh, it's really, really cool um, crowdsourced writing of fiction uh, about basically what's in control. Uh, but I think they, that Remedy did some really cool stuff with that concept and built something um, really beautiful and smart uh, and um, with a, you know, just, just, the story isn't perfect all around, um, but it is a really, really, really well-made game that is just awesome to explore. The weird stuff that happens in that game is so far up my alley that it would be impossible for for me to not fall in love with it. Um, but the fact that I fell in love with it so hard is just due to how much I enjoy playing it. Um, I ended up doing every optional boss, finding every document, doing all of that stuff because I couldn't get enough of it. And I eagerly, eagerly await the, uh, the, the DLC. It's my favorite remedy game. Um, like I said, one of my favorite games of the decade. Um, maybe my favorite, like third person action shooter, uh, it's just it's it's a wonderful game and and I'm excited to see uh, so many people adopt it, um, despite some of the misgivings that others on our cast have about it. 
Uh, and, and it's, it's very solidly in my number three spot. Number two is a game that I played at a PAX a couple years ago and actually, um, came away pretty sour on, uh, and that's disco Elysium. Uh, at first I encountered some of its more, um, problematic elements, um, early on, but they're not problematic actually. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing. They, um, they're, they're actually, it's actually a game that is, has a lot of uh, things to say politically and socially. Um, and I think that they're, it's really cool and positive in the end. Um, and at first it feels like it is doing some kind of gross stuff with its writing and, and characterizations, but it's actually got a lot to teach you about <laughs> why, being a bad person is a bad thing. Uh, and it's a role-playing game, but it has so many adventure game elements that it feels less like you're just trying to do stat builds to min-max things. And it feels much more um, open than a lot of RPGs, much more like a tabletop game, um, which I really liked. And I think it's uh, what, what it does is, you know, one of my other favorite games, the Witcher, uh, Geralt tends to do bad things to bad people. So when you find out that someone's a virulent racist or sexist, awful murderer or whatever, you get the opportunity to like to, to kill him um, or imprison them or something. Um, and uh, that's cathartic. And, you know, I love that uh, way to deal with problems like that. But um, what Disco Elysium says is like, look, this person is an awful racist and you can't just kill them. You have to find a way to live with them. And it really teaches a lot of empathy without falling into the trap of teaching sympathy for things. It's never asking you to accept that person or tolerate them. It's more asking you, how are you going to, uh, to live with them? Um, and that's, uh, an interesting thing that it does so well and that I wouldn't trust most media to do for me, but in the case of Disco Elysium, it, it handles it so well. And then on top of that, it just the story is so good from start to finish. It just is brilliantly written. It's one of the funniest games I have ever played. Um, and it's just one of the most best written uh, RPGs I've ever seen. Uh, and I cannot recommend it highly enough to people who, um, you know, as long as some of the there's content warnings in there for some, um, from, you know, racist and sexist language that it sometimes is pretty, uh, uh, pretty tough. But um, but it's it's an incredible RPG that I can't recommend highly enough. Um, and so you should you should definitely play it if you have any affinity for adventure or role playing games. Um, I've, my criticisms are so slim that I, I they're not even worth mentioning. And that is my number two from Zaum Studios uh, Disco Elysium. Now, my number one this year is special because uh, not only is it my number one game of the year and my number one game of the decade. Uh, but The Outer Wilds is my favorite game ever, I think. Uh, I think that's that's something I can say pretty squarely. Um, and I actually had really high expectations for it going in because I first played this game uh, several years ago when it was a IGF finalist. Um, I was listening to Idle Thumbs at the time, I think it was, I think, and it came up on one of their shows as uh as something that i think it was chris remo was playing for the igf and said that he really liked and it was like a notable thing that people should check out uh so 
I played the alpha way back then and the alpha has a lot of what the final game had in it just without the narrative stuff. It didn't have the writing, um, but the clockwork nature of the world was still there. So there was still a lot of, you know, you could kind of through trial and error poke at some things um, and learn some things about that stayed in the game until the final release. So I had pretty high expectations because I already loved it from when it was an alpha and was just waiting to get the full final thing. And the full final thing was one of the most exciting, emotional, um, eventful experiences for me ever uh, playing a video game. And probably, you know, the most. <laughs> uh, and I think that game is special and important um, and should be played by everyone who likes video games. Um, I understand that some people have some issues with the controls. I think that we would all... Everyone who loves that game, including the people who made it, um, would all agree that that game would be even better if there was a way for you to just scrub back and forth in your run without having to restart it. If you could just rewind and fast forward, then sure. But I don't think that that's really possible with the engine that they're working with and and with what they were able to do. Um, So uh, with that kind of in mind, I think it is just a perfect adventure game. It's a space simulator that doesn't have any fighting. The game about exploration in the purest sense. Um, and, uh, and I think it's quite perfect. Uh, and, uh, it's written with a lot of heart. The characters, the story is beautiful. Um, it's, it's literal walls of text as has been pointed out to me, but, um, it conveys things, uh, and has moments that are, um, shocking in the best way. Uh, it is a game that made me reconsider and think about things like entropy and death and climate change and stuff in ways that I hadn't before. And uh, I think it's really special. So um, you should play it. <laughs> uh, I think it's still on Game Pass. And if not, um, like, just DM me and, and, and I'll share a login or something. I'm kind of kidding. But also, you know, if that's the only thing stopping you from playing it... <laughs> God, just that game should be in people's hands. So that is my number one game of the year, The Outer Wilds from Mobius Digital. Um, I eagerly await whatever they've got next, but we'll be playing The Outer Wilds again and again every year for uh, the foreseeable future. So thanks so much for listening, and um, I hope that everyone else's lists are also fun to listen to. I'm sure that they will be, and we'll be back soon for um, the, the final thing, the big old argument. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, anyway, happy holidays. Hey there, Alex here. We have done it. We made it to the end of 2019. What better time to reflect on this year than, well, right now? It's been a really interesting year for a lot of things. Uh, you know, there's been some pretty crappy stuff that has happened, but we can ignore that for now. Let's just go for the good. On the podcast, we spend a lot of time talking about, well, video games. It's Gaming Fix. And next week will be no exception. That is our Game of the Year podcast, so we'll be spending hours and hours talking about our favorites from the year. So, for today, when reflecting on 2019 and some of the cool stuff that happened, I thought, let's not talk about video games for this one. Instead, let's talk about some other cool stuff, like music that came out this year, or some books, or anime, or TV shows, or movies. And let's start with music. If you visited our site, fix.space, you might have seen that I wrote an article about my top five albums of the year. Well, top five-ish. There's a bunch of honorable mentions in there too. And just for some quick context, in case you didn't know this about me, because we talk about video games a lot, as mentioned, 
Uh, I have a strong connection to music. I have a degree in music from Berkeley. I used to be a professional musician, uh, and I still do music on the side. So, yeah, music is a huge part of my life. That's why I wanted to spend some time talking about it from this year. Also, 2019 was an exceptional year for new music. And yeah, let's just dive into the list to talk about why. So at number five, we had Feed Me with High Street Creeps. Feed Me is a really interesting artist and definitely recommended for fans of anything electronic. So if you like EDM, dubstep, trap, progressive house, anything really, he does it. And he does it really well. And honestly, you can find a lot of it on this album. So Feed Me, real name John Gooch, has been a producer for many years and he's released a ton of albums. This album is really strong. I didn't like his past one or two albums, honestly, but this one hits all the marks for me and 100% worth listening to. Next, at number four, we have Terraformer from Thank You Scientist. These guys are a really cool blend of progressive metal, so we'll say like Dream Theater Symphony X meets Jazz Fusion. So like uh, Dave Brubeck or The Bad Plus or Tribal Tech or something like that. Really, really awesome blend of genres and really unique sound. In the past, I've described them to friends as kind of like being the ska meets jazz of the metal world. So a lot of really fun energy to them and uh, really cool because they're a metal band that has a horn section and a violin player. On top of all that, the music is just extremely good. Like, it's really well arranged and orchestrated and performed and written, and everything about it is just super, super good. Uh, it's a long album. It's like an hour and a half long, but for me, like, every minute of it is basically captivating. Uh, I love it. And there's multiple tracks that I could recommend to a friend on a whim. So again, that is Thank You, Scientist, and their album Terraformer. Next, at number three, we have easily the heaviest album on the entire list, and that is Periphery 4, Hail Stam from Periphery. It is progressive metal, gent, uh, very harsh vocals, low-tuned guitars. It's pretty intense metal. So if you're not into metal, maybe it's not an album you would like, but the thing is that there are songs that you might, because while it has those really intense, harsh, brutal songs, it also has some that are really light and gentle and sweet. They're about subjects like love and uh, just, you know, positive things, and they almost sound like pop. So it's a very broad album, and the execution on all of it is extremely good. It's super well produced by uh, Nolly Gutgood. His production quality is second to none, and the performance, the writing, everything about it is exceptional. Spencer, the singer, does an amazing job with it, and yeah, every everything about it is just absolutely top-notch. Uh, I think it's probably the strongest work that Periphery has done to date. If you were to ask me what my favorite Periphery album is, uh, if you ask me today, I would probably say it's this one. Uh, depending on the day, it might be Periphery 2 or the Juggernaut albums, but uh, yeah, I think it is worthy of being called their best album and easily one of the best albums of the year. Next up at the number two slot is an album that pretty much came out of absolutely nowhere for me. It's a really, really interesting mix of genres. It's like hip hop and jazz and gospel and like pop rock, but also metal and progressive stuff, like progressive elements sprinkled in. It's really cool. 
Uh, it's called Patience, and it's by Clément Belliot. He's an artist from France, and I think this is his second album that he's released, and it is just... It, 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 I don't know. I don't even know how to put into words. I didn't write a script for this. I'm just kind of going off the cuff, and it's just... It's something special. Like, the first time I listened to it, uh, the first track or two, I was just kind of passively listening. I was doing some work and stuff in the background, but... Uh, by the time the third and fourth track were rolling around, it had my total focus. I was like, what is this? It's so cool. And since then, I've listened to the album in its entirety multiple times, recommended it to people all over the place, and just can't stop gushing about how good it is. It's really unique. It's really fun. Like, it has a lot of enthusiasm behind it. It's almost wholly positive. Like, it's it's there's no darkness in it. It's just really great and light and fluffy so patience by clement bellio i recommend it to almost anyone in the world no matter what genre preferences you have or whatever it is just an exceptional album which brings us to number one this is an album from someone who i would probably consider to be the most personally influential to me as a musician so the way he composes and writes as well as the way he performs has really influenced me as a musician as well uh, the album he put out this year, I would consider to be a masterpiece. It should be noted, I almost never use that word because I think it's way too strong, but I'm comfortable giving it that, that title here. And that is Devin Townsend's Empath album. It is an absolutely phenomenal effort. It is deeply personal. It is insanely well-crafted. Every second of it has meaning. And... If you listen to it as one cohesive whole, if you start at track one and end at the very end, it is just an amazing experience. It's... Uh, <laughs> I almost don't even know what to say about it because it is so powerful and it impacted me so much, both as a human and as a musician. The first time I listened to it, I made it an event. I locked myself in a room turned on my really big, nice studio monitor speakers, turned off all the screens, set my phone in, phone in somewhere else, and just listened to it. And I would recommend anyone doing that because it is just so cohesive and so wonderful. You start at track one, and it's this very ambient, new-agey kind of start, and then it goes into rock, and then it goes into death metal, and eventually it goes into like chamber music and country and musical theater, it is everywhere. But the thing is, it all feels connected and none of it feels like wrong. It feels like exactly what he wants to convey. And it is, yeah, it's just so good. <laughs> I, I can't speak enough positive things about Empath. I think it is a masterful work. And if you enjoy music, if you are a musician, I would really recommend giving it a shot because uh, it, it's maybe my favorite album of all time at this point. It's just exceptional. All right. <laughs> I could talk about that album all day, but let's move on to some other cool stuff that happened this year. Let's talk about um, something I sometimes bring to the show, but I haven't really brought that often recently because I haven't been watching much of it recently, and that's anime. Uh, anime can be great, and 2019, from what I've seen this year, has been really exceptional. Uh, again, I haven't been watching that much of it. I've just been too busy with new work and uh, games and some other stuff. But 
yeah, let's um, let's talk about some of my favorites, but they don't need to be ranked. They don't need to be the top five. Uh, like I'm just gonna say, yeah, these are good ones. You should probably watch this. And the first one, one of my favorites from the year is Mob Psycho 100 second season. If you have not watched the first season of Mob Psycho 100, I'm really tempted to just say, hey, hey, put put this podcast aside and go watch all of it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's worth it. Um, but I know that's a big time investment and people might not want to do that. Uh, but I really recommend Mob Psycho 100 and the second season is maybe even better than the first, which is saying a lot because I thought the first was like a 10 out of 10 season. If you're not familiar with Mob Psycho, uh, it's from the cr- same creator as One Punch Man. His name is One. Uh, it's similar in style, like the characters have some similarities, but the story is just so much better. Like, I like One Punch Man. It's a fun parody. It has like some good, funny commentary in it, and it's just it's silly and sweet, and I enjoy it. But Mob Psycho 100 is something completely different and just on a whole nother level, in my opinion. It is surprisingly wholesome, and that's one of the things that I think is really missing from modern media is having a really wholesome show because the main character, Mob, uh, is just a total sweetheart. He's a really good kid, and he just wants to do good things for the world. Like He's empathetic to people, and he's sensitive, and he really just wants to see people be happy. But he's also insanely powerful. Like he's, you know, similar to a one punch man. He's like the most powerful being in the universe, but he doesn't take advantage of it. And it's not like Saitama where Saitama gets bored with his power. Mob is just kind of like, I don't really want to use it. I'm I, I can, but I'm only going to use it if absolutely necessary. So it's the second season is just really good. It's emotional. There are parts where you're going to cry. There are parts where you're going to laugh really hard because it is really genuinely funny. And yeah, Mob Psycho 100 Season 2, 1,000% worth watching. Another one worth checking out is The Promised Neverland. Uh, Allison actually recommended that to me, and she was totally right. That show is a trip. <laughs> um, I really don't want to say much about it because it is a psychological horror thriller kind of thing. And it's worth going in blind so you don't really know what's happening because the plot of the show ends up being really fascinating. Um, I think it's extremely good, really well written, and I cannot wait for the second season because it ends with a cliffhanger and that cliffhanger is, uh, as we, the Francais, the French say, it is a motherfucker. (laughs) Um, Another one I've been enjoying has been My Hero Academia's fourth season. I don't watch a ton of um, multiple season shows these days. I like watching kind of one-offs, but My Hero has been really good this season. I thought the third season was okay, but a little boring. Uh, So far, this fourth season has been really amazing. (laughs) I'm saying all these positive things, but that's because I'm only talking about the really good stuff I've watched. There was some garbage too, but we don't have to talk about that. Um, But yeah, My Hero season four, all of the characters have been established at this point. And now they're being thrown into situations which like have actual gravitas and meaning behind them. And they're being forced to look at morality and stuff like that, which is super cool for like a shonen style anime. It's awesome. Um, and I, one of the things I love about My Hero is that they will take the time to like kind of give who seems like a totally unimportant side character 
an entire episode just to develop their character a little bit more. And so you feel a little bit more for them. And uh, season four has done that with some characters that I wouldn't have expected to like, but now might be like some of my favorite characters in the entire series. So yeah, if you haven't watched My Hero, watch that. Watch it. It's so good. And lastly, I don't even remember if it was this year. I think it was. Maybe it was the end of last year, but that's the latest season of Attack on Titan. I talked about it on the podcast, but I read the manga every month. Um, I still, I've been doing that for nine years. I don't know, a lot of years at this point. And I've been saying to people for a long time, when we get to this part of the story, your mind is going to be blown, provided that they do it right, provided that the animations come through and the voice, you know, like the, the visual production ends up being as good as the manga. And they delivered. <laughs> it is incredible. And knowing where it goes from here, I'm so excited to see what comes next because like, it is mind-blowing. And I'm willing to say, like I said, masterpiece is not a worse word I use, but I think that might end up being an anime masterpiece on the same level as Full Metal, Full Metal Alchemist and those kinds of shows. So, yeah, that's just a couple handful of the animes that I've watched this year that I really loved. Uh, recommend all of them very highly. If you've never watched anime before, uh, might I recommend Yuru Camp, Laidback Camp? It, either way, Yuru Camp is the Japanese title. Um, or A Place Further Than the Universe. Those are both amazing. Neither of them came out this year, but hey. Gotta start somewhere. <laughs> um, let's talk quickly about movies. I don't go to the theater ever. Uh, I went, no, that's not right. I don't go to the theater much. I think I went to the theater twice this year. One was to see a Chinese movie with my friend, and the other was to see this movie that I really loved, and that was Parasite. Um, the movie has been getting accolades all over the dang place. It is a phenomenon here in North America, and I was happy that I got to see it before all of that. Yeah, I know I'm being a hipster, but like it was really cool seeing it before all the hype hit and then watching the hype train come and people being like, holy crap, this foreign film from Korea is really good and being like, yeah, it is. It's so good. I'm so glad that people are enjoying it because, yeah, it's so good. Um, yeah, dude, I don't know. I don't want to talk about Parasite's story that much because it's worth going in blind. Like The stuff I like most is the one that surprises you. And if I just give away plot points, that that's no longer surprising. So... I would much rather just say Parasite is a 10 out of 10 movie masterpiece and it's getting all of these accolades for very good reason. It's relatable. It made me reconsider some of my, um, well, me, it made me reconsider some of my perspectives. Um, it's just, it is a meaningful and very strong piece of work which will definitely stand the test of time and is worth seeing. Um, I'm thinking about talking about some books. I've only read a couple of this year, and I don't think either of them were actually from this year. Um, let's just talk about one, and that is Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed. It's really interesting. It's uh, Cheryl was one of the authors of the Dear Sugar series of articles. I don't know if you want to call them that, but essentially it was like, People write, Dear Sugar, I'm having this thing happen in my life, blah, 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 blah. And then she replies with life advice. But it's like deeply personal in a really interesting way. And usually Sugar, uh, Cheryl, responds with like actual life lessons that she's learned. And it's not like pithy stuff. I think it's more, um, 
I don't want to get into it too deep, but it's dark. Like it's talking about times she's been through abuse and times she's been through like really negative situations and saying like, Hey, what you're feeling here is totally normal. This is what I went through. This is how I got through it. I don't know if this helps you, but hopefully it does. And it's just a collection of those stories and a hundred percent worth reading. It's, you're going to find something in there that will resonate with you. And I found many things which made me reconsider, again, like like Parasite, maybe reconsider some of my perspectives and maybe some of my priorities. So, yeah, uh, really exceptional book. And the name of that book, again, is Tiny Beautiful Things. Lastly, so something I want to talk about that's a little weird and I don't get an opportunity to talk about on the show much is programming stuff. Uh, I am a programmer, and that is my full-time job. I love it. Um, I do a lot of back-end programming, so if we have any programmers listening to the show, this part's for you. If you're not a programmer, you can listen to it if you want. You can skip it. It's fine. I'm just going to talk about some of the, like, the really cool programmer trends that have come around this year and maybe some uh, just generalized stuff that I would recommend for programmers. So something that came about this year, well, I don't know, did it come about this year? I discovered it this year, is an educational site and I should note that this site does sponsor other podcasts. They do not sponsor ours, so this is not an endorsement because of a a sponsorship. We don't take sponsorships on this show. Maybe we will in the future. For now, we don't. Um, And that is a website called educative.io. It is a wonderful way to learn stuff about programming. Like if you want to learn how to program in C-sharp or Python or JavaScript or if you want to learn the fundamentals of data science or uh, you know that kind of stuff, uh, it's such a cool environment to learn because you don't need an IDE. You don't need to install .NET on your computer or C++ or any of that stuff. You can do everything right from your browser window uh, and it renders just like you were using Visual Studio and like the, the .NET framework. It's so cool. You can do it from your phone and write C-sharp code and it'll render there and it'll tell you, yeah, you did this right. Yay, you're learning. So educative.io is exceptional. Another thing that I would recommend, again, these guys do sponsor other shows, they don't sponsor ours, is um, Netlify. If you're doing something that's very front-end focused, so if you're building a website with React, with Angular, something like that, if you want it just on the net in much the way you would do Heroku for a back-end thing, Use Netlify. It is amazing. It is um, 100% free for the most part. Like you can upgrade, but for what a normal everyday person would be using, it's free. And if you have GitHub, you get free CI/CD with it. Like if I can't explain just how amazing that is. It's it's free CI/CD, and it's like impossibly easy to set up. If you're using um, no or npm, like if you're using React or Angular and you're using npm, it'll read your package.json. It'll figure out what you're using, and it'll set up all that CI/CD for you. You don't have to do anything. You just connect it to your repo, and it works. It's amazingly good. I've said the word amazing like 10 times there, but it's so good. Uh, I host my personal website there. I just point my DNS to it, and it's free hosting. It's updatable just from a GitHub repo. I can change it anytime. My website is 100% open source, so if you go there and want to steal the code, go for it. Uh, that is alex-gelinas.com, alexgelina.com. And yeah, man, Netlify is just so good. <laughs> There's a lot of other stuff we could talk about for programming. I'm really excited about the changes to TypeScript. Uh, Visual Studio Code rem- remains the best IDE out there. 
The Pragmatic Programmer is an amazing book. Uh, yeah, but for the moment, I think I'm going to leave it there. Again, 2019 has been a fantastic year for a lot of media. Outside of media, it is what it is. Personal lives, it is what it is. But it, reflecting on music, on games, on everything like that, it has just been fantastic. I'm really looking forward to next week when we're going to talk games. You guys are going to be hearing about some of my favorites. Uh, you'll be hearing about some of my least favorites too, because unfortunately, some of my least favorites are some of our uh, fellow podcasters' favorites. <laughs> Oof. All right. Thanks for listening. And yeah, talk with you soon. Hello. This is Erica Hernandez from Gaming Fix. And I haven't recorded anything for Gaming Fix in quite a while. And even weirder, I'm doing this by myself, so we'll see how this goes. But this week, we've decided to rank our own lists and do something a little bit different. We put together some clips. So while I life kind of got in the way for me this year and I didn't get a chance to play very many video games, I did have a lot of time to watch a lot of K-pop music videos, so... I decided to rank my top 30 K-pop title tracks of this year, 2019. And because there are 30 of them, I should get started because this list is pretty long. Um, at number 30, I have Obsession by EXO, which has a really interesting song structure that I think is cool and different. Um, there's kind of no chorus in that song at all. Uh, Chen's high notes are a standout. Um, Chan Yul had probably some of his best raps to date. Um, really interesting styling on them. Best crop top on Kai so far. <laughs> um, number 29, I have Jopping by Super M, which is kind of a really charming nonsense song that's saved by Mark's raps and Baekhyun's vocals. Um, just kind of it's it's goofy, it's a cash grab, we all know what it is, but it's still cute and charming and I like it. <laughs> Number 28, I have Double Knot by Stray Kids. Uh, Felix's summoning circle is my single favorite dance move of the year. And usually I don't come to Stray Kids, or I don't think most people come to Stray Kids for their dancing, but I think that this stage was just really beautiful and, you know, I really liked the... Mm -hmm motifs of them tying knots with their limbs throughout the whole thing. It's really interesting and cool to look at. Number 27, I have Fever by G-Friend. Um, it's not really doing anything groundbreaking. It's definitely not one of G-Friend's best songs either. Um, just a really super solid dance song. Really energetic, and Yuju's vocals are a highlight for me, as they are in every G-Friend song, because she's got some pipes. Number 26, I have Want by Taemin. It kind of follows the formula of other Taemin solo songs. It's a sexy dance song with some gender bending dance moves, but like it fits right in with his other solo songs without feeling too derivative of what he's already put out. Number 25, I have Follow by Monster X, which is a really good song. It just like bums me out. <laughs> um, I think I was just bummed out through the whole promotions with the departure of Wan Ho. Um, and I then feeling manipulated into, you know, 
holding out hope for him by the management company. So like, I don't, I think the song would probably have ranked higher if all of that drama wasn't going on, but it's still got, you know, monster X is always really has really excellent raps and continue to be excellent and follow very memorable. Uh, the tiki tacos are fun. It's just a, it's a fun dance song. That's just kind of, unfortunately, uh, is a little bleak at the time. Um, number 24, I have gotta go by Chung Ha. I think I'm the only person that liked this song more than snapping. Um, my favorite Chung Ha is a slowed down, like more sultry as Chung Ha and gotta go kind of checked all of those boxes for me in a way that snapping didn't. Not that snapping is a bad song. It just didn't make my list. Number 23, I have Napa by Crush. Uh, Crush doesn't know how to make bad songs. Like he only makes good songs. Um, and <laughs> as I'm aging, I can appreciate a, a music video that's following someone that can't hang the way they used to. Uh, EXAD did that really well. Also with "I Love You" last year. It's just like it's cute, it's relatable, it's funny. It it's, makes everybody smile. I think at least you know people people who are feeling like they can't hang the way they used to it makes them smile. <laughs> Um, number 22, I have Killed This Love by Blackpink, which I didn't like maybe the first 20 times I heard the song. It was everywhere. And I was just like, this is not what I wanted because I was anticipating like uh, a do to do to part two. But it's definitely not that. And, and it grew on me eventually. The music video is also really beautiful, full of really beautiful shots like that one with Jisoo in the water with the glass piece on her neck. And Rosé crying in the car. It's just really pretty. Everybody looked great. The song grew on me over time. Like, I like the horns and everything now. But the first time I heard it, it was just... I think it's it's just not what I was expecting. And so I felt a certain kind of way about it when it first came out. <laughs> Number 21, I have Q&A by Cherry Bullet. Which, it was a really strong debut. Like, how can you not like a video game concept? Or how can I not like a video game concept, really? Uh, there's, like, really fun whistles in the chorus. Um, and I, I think they lost, like, three members this year. So hopefully the shakeup in the lineup doesn't affect them too much. And we'll see some more equally fun tracks from them next year. Number 20, I have Alligator by Monsta X. Um, which I was kind of worried when the uh, the teasers started coming out and I thought it was going to be a seven deadly sins concept because I figured that was really played out. It's like, oh, OK, they have seven members, so I guess we got to do this now. But I think they got around it by not taking it too literally and also spending a lot of money on the music video. I had a big budget, so it didn't come across as like cheap, and which is what I was expecting when... I found out what it was going to be like. Um, Juhan continues to give us like his quotable one-liners and this time with that hello, I'm an alley alligator is just really fun and cute and expected in a good way from him. Um, Kihyun's vocals send the great, amazing, as, as always. And a happier time for Monsta X too. Number 19, I have Breathe by AB6, which was another fantastic debut. Uh, really high expectations for them because four out of five of the members had 
previously debuted in other groups like 101, which, you know, sets a high bar coming in. So I'm glad that they were able to live up to it since it was had really pretty choreography. I love the little double claps. It's just all around a super solid song. <clears throat> Number 18, I have Dala Dala by Itzy, which is another really highly anticipated debut. Really high energy choreography mixed with like their really uplifting lyrics about being unapologetically you and what's not to like about that is just what a what a great song and dance. Number 17, I have Neon by Yukika, which is a really well executed, like authentic city pop song. And if the well, if, if it wasn't sung in Korean and also if the music video wasn't shot in HD, uh, it would fit right in alongside of like 1980s Japan city pop, like that whole mood. And it's just really well done. They've they found the sound. Yukiko found the sound she was looking for and nailed it. Number six, I have Crown by Tomorrow by Together, which was easily the most anticipated debut this year. And they just nailed it. The Crown never felt like it was meant to be like a BTS song or like it was catering to BTS fans. It really had their own sound and they were doing something different. But it was also really sweet and like age appropriate, I felt, for them, too, because they are so young. Uh, I felt like that was the case for all of Tomorrow by Together songs. So like every TXT song that has dropped this year has all felt like it was made for teenagers and it's cute and it's fun and I like it. Number 15, I have Side Effects by Stray Kids. JYP gave Stray Kids like a lot of creative freedom this year. And the best show of that for me was Side Effects. They got to do more they 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 decided to like fully go for it in that song and i can appreciate that there's like a lot of palpable frustration in the song and also it you know it's echoed in the dancing and there's like really violent choreography but they really went 100% for it and it worked for me and i want to see more of that from stray kids next year number 14 i have boy with love by bts featuring halsey um, BTS hasn't done a song that's been like that kind of carefree and fun in quite a few years. Um, and so it was really nice to see that they can still do it and like knock it out of the park. Um, the singing in the rain references make the music video really fun to watch too. If you care at all about that movie and even if you don't care about that movie, it's still a fun music video. The song's fun. Everything's fun about it. Um, it's not too serious in a way that, I think was kind of nice to see from BTS, honestly. Number 13, I have Fancy by Twice. Um, Fancy marked a big transition for Twice in in terms of maturing their sound. Their previous songs were kind of like a little overly precious, but it was working for them, and it worked for me, too. Originally, I was not the biggest Twice fan, but like I kind of grew into liking Twice's, like, really cutesy concepts. But, you know, this is very different from them. And it, it, But it worked for them. They, they, you know, they amassed a lot of fans doing their really cute styles. And 
So it was surprising to see them take such a big risk by changing their sound so much. Uh, but it really paid off. Fancy was everywhere this year, <laughs> like it, like literally everywhere. Um, the dance is really memorable, which I think is a staple of Twice's songs in general. Um, my one complaint is that I would like to see their stylist pick a cohesive style for all nine members for just one comeback, please. <laughs> um, but, you know, if that's my only complaint, that is still a great song. Number 12, I have Violetta by Eyes One. Uh, Violetta feels like they took La Vie and Rose and just built on it a little bit it, the choreography is outstanding just the shots the long shots of everybody is re are really good like the flapping of the wings are like really great when they all get together as like a group of 12 they they use the the fact that they have so many members well in that choreography um i'm just really upset that their future as a group is in jeopardy because of all of the produced drama um, because I really want as much music as possible from that lineup specifically um, before their contract ends. So we'll see, though. Number 11, I have Boom by NCT Dream. Um, this song made me start paying attention to NCT Dream. Four out of the six members, though, are set to age out of the subunit's under 19 gimmick but sm has such a good lineup there they have such a like it's and well-rounded really charming and like really successful the dreamies are doing really well uh with nct dream and i just feel like breaking them up is such a mistake and <laughs> i really wish they would just make nct dream a fixed unit um but i don't know if that's gonna happen but i think that they're seeing how successful that particular set of boys are together. So we'll see. We'll see. I have hope. <laughs> Number 10, I have Fear by 17, which is like really angsty and aggressive, uh, both in the song and the dance. The music video, though, has like some of the most like strikingly beautiful shots. Um, some of my favorites uh, are uh, Dino's suspended microphones, um, Hoshi's saran wrapped floral arm, <laughs> and of course, uh, Jung Han's uh, red smear, uh, the hip swivel, instantly iconic. Like, more songs should also use whispering. Like, what an excellent use of whispering in that song. Uh, and easily my favorite styling for a boy group this year, with specifically those like super crisp black suits with the black and white feathers. They looked great. Um, just excellent. <laughs> Number nine, I have Psycho by Red Velvet, which just came out. <laughs> but like, leave it to Red Velvet to drop like one of the best songs this year, the last week of the year. Um, this is the first true Velvet concept we've got, song we've gotten from Red Velvet since Bad Boy, I think. And um, it's so beautifully executed. It's my favorite styling of the year period. Um, they look amazing. The outfits are fantastic. The makeup's gorgeous. Everything about it. Uh, Sulgi and Wendy's vocals are equally pretty and interesting. Like <laughs> Sulgi, especially like the opening is just really 
cute and not cute, just like powerful, impactful and interesting is what I should say. Um, It's just a shame that like Wendy got injured so seriously right at the start of the promotions for this song because it feels like it's going to do really well for them. And Irene calling herself the original visual. (laughs) It's so different. (laughs) So Wendy's injury aside, um, this was just a really great year for Red Velvet. All of their songs were great this year. Um, Psycho just happens to be the best one. So congratulations to them for putting out fantastic music all year long. This this trilogy has been fun for them. Um, Number eight, I have Superhuman by NCT127. Um, I feel like a lot of boy groups keep putting out very similar songs, <laughs> which is just like an EDM song with like a nice, powerful, interesting looking backdrops and like deep shadows and just, you know, but and, and honestly, that's exactly what Superhuman is on paper. It is. It is exactly that. Um but what human superhuman does differently is I think it's just like really well executed, really clean. Like the vocals are like truly beautiful. The harmonies are really fun. They got some unique robotic dance moves through the whole thing. And it's just a good time. It really hooked me and it got me to listen to the rest of one, two sevens catalog. So, you know, they're obviously doing something right then. <laughs> Number seven, I have Twit by Huatha. When Twit came out, I kept saying it was going to be my song of the year, um, which was like in February. And it's not, um, but it is still more or less like a nearly perfect song. Um, Huasa telling her bae he ain't shit is like exactly the mood I want from her solo debut. Like another music video with like really, really pretty shots. Uh, Huasa's like white veil with like the big hands in the background. Really pretty. Like the pigtails looking down on like that group of guys on like that pole is also really good. Wien's cameo, gorgeous. The black dress with the legs sticking out. Oh my God. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it also like doesn't take itself like overly seriously, which is also what I like about the song in the music video, um, you know, it's still got uh, Huasa shaking her butt and like jumping around her bedroom and like her underwear. It's just a fun time, a solid song, great vocals, great visuals, no complaints. Number six, I have Shall We by Chen. So I'm. Um, hella biased in that Chen from EXO is like easily one of my favorite vocalists in K-pop but this is such a pretty and like romantic song it's so soft and just it's it feels like they like he took the retro city pop style but like updated it to 2019 and it didn't feel dated at all but it still felt derivative in a good way (laughs) Number five, I have Maybe It's Not Our Fault by Bechieren. When I first heard this song, I think I heard it on like a YouTube lo-fi stream that I was listening to while I was doing homework. And I think it's like my number two most played song this year on Spotify. Uh, Just Yaren's voice is such a gorgeous and unique tone to it. She's able to convey so much emotion and like so much pain in it without 
without without it feeling like she's putting a lot of effort into it. It's very effortless what she does, and it's that's great. Um, I hope that it doing well for her will mean that she can release more music more often because I don't want to wait two more years for her next song, JYP, please. Um, and it's just like it's nearly perfect. It, like the only the only reason I think it didn't rank higher was that it, I, the music video is boring. <laughs> so, but an excellent, beautiful song. Number four, I have Feel Special by Twice, and I know I'm an outlier, but Feel Special was much more popular in my household than Fancy was. Um, for me, the songs are very, very similar. They just, like, they have the same feel to me anyway, but um, Feel Special feels like they took what made Fancy great and just, like, elevated it a little bit more. Like, the little chimes that come in during the rap verse are just... They always like my husband and I always end up turning to each other and being like, "Oh, this is so good." <laughs> so I mean, just it's it's so it's so good. <laughs> and shout out to Twice in general for 2019. Like they they're just killing it. Even their Japanese releases, nobody they didn't get the attention they deserved because they're Japanese releases, but just absolute bops, every one of them. So great job, Twice. <laughs> See you next year. Number three, I have Hip by Mamamoo. Like, the biggest F you to overly critical internet trolls. Wasa and the fans literally doing fan chants and spitting on her haters <laughs> with that, like, instantly iconic, like, loogie hawk in the song. It's just so perfect. Oh, God, it's so good. Uh, everybody knows how talented Mamamoo is are as uh, vocalists but I think they've got to showcase more of their dancing ability this time say like hey we could do more than just sing we have other abilities too and I think also Moon Buell had her best raps to date um, or nearly her best raps maybe (laughs) and like it's just all around like a a well-rounded song the looks were great The, the concept was great just all of it totally worked for me Number two, I have Butterfly by Luna. Um, the world wasn't ready for Butterfly. Like, <laughs> it really wasn't. I'm so sad about it. It should have it been Luna's first win, honestly. Um, Gaming Fixes Allison um, told me to stop sleeping on Luna, um, and it was the best decision because now they are among my favorite groups. I think they're my number two favorite group at this point. Um I think I got goosebumps the first time I heard Butterfly. It's so, it's one of those songs, you know? Um, I think it's also important to note that the music video really beautifully highlights a diverse array of women. And that's not really done in K-pop. You don't really see that often at all. That was nice to see for sure. Um, But I think where Butterfly really shines is in its choreography, um, Luna makes a great use of having such a big group. They have 12 members and watching like a dance practice or something zoomed out, like a zoomed out fan cam where you can see the whole stage at the time at the same time. And you can really see like Luna work as like an ensemble of dancers is really breathtaking. They've created like such crazy 
looking lines and it's just amazing. Highly recommend <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> and so number one, I have Bloom Bloom by the boys, which I'm sure comes as absolutely no surprise to anyone that has talked to me since that song has come out. <laughs> but Bloom Bloom just felt so tailor-made for me specifically. It just it felt like somebody wrote that song for me. Um it was just so instantly catchy and it just further cemented the boys as my favorite group. Um Bloom Bloom is like so bright and so optimistic and the lyrics are comparing like first feelings of like falling in love to like flowers blooming and it's just so sweet and the whole song just felt so correct for the springtime the stages were like really quirky and cute and but also like super high energy and athletic and you could tell they worked really hard on it um and i think that that resonated with the fans and the fan base in general and bloom bloom Earned the boys their first win, which was much deserved um, and a nice high point for what was a difficult year for the group after like losing him. Well, I mean, they didn't lose a member at that point, but he was already injured at that point and on his way out, I'm sure. But the it was nice to have that to look on for 2019 other than just obviously the loss of a member as being the standout for the year um but also the boys like they've always had really excellent b-sides like every one of their albums has really good b-sides but um butterfly and clover continue to be excellent i think they were my favorite b-sides this year just great all around like what i've come to expect from the boys for their b-sides and hopefully, you know, we can see more from them next year in terms of more hits, more wins, you know, more bops. That's what I need. And hopefully no more drama. <laughs> that's I think that that's just kind of the year in general. It's kind of a weird time to be a K-pop fan. I think that. 2019 was difficult there was a lot of like really sad tragedies there were a lot of members that left groups either um, you know on their own will or that they were asked to leave um but and of course crimes too <laughs> crimes committed this year <laughs> um so hopefully though uh 2020 will be calmer but the music will be just as good and uh, we'll see though and um we'll see how 2020 goes and hopefully you hear more from me in 20 in 2020 also um and if you would like to see me yell about k-pop um you can do so on twitter and follow me at Erica, spelled A-I-R-E-H-C-U-H. And I will see you in the new year. Hey, everyone. Andre here uh, with my kind of game of the year little tidbit for you on this episode. I'm not I, I don't have like a list written down or anything or any plans for what I'm going to say here. So it might get a little rambly and... If you're not into that, I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm just going to say what I feel. 
So I hope you enjoy this ride along with me. Um, this year was, I think, surprising for games. Uh, at least for me, I thought pretty much the whole year has been very strong. A lot of people said, Oh, it's such a weak year for games. I, I, people are saying that are out of their minds. I don't think we had any like massive mm, triple a games. Like there was no God of war or horizon last of us type thing, but like the prestige uh, games, I guess. Like Gears of Five, maybe, but I didn't think Gears of Five was very good. Uh, but there were a lot of like kind of mid tier games that, or mid tier or indie games that I think were very, very good and kind of shaped, I think are going to be very influential on games going forward, or at least are amazing one offs that I can't wait to see what those studios do next. Um, so that's stuff like, uh, the outer wilds. I don't think you can talk about 2019 and games without talking about the outer wilds. That is probably the most, that is the game that I think everyone needs to play. Uh, I know Pat is, is very passionate about this game and can talk to it much more, much better than I can. Um, but my, I think the, uh, the whole conceit and the way it doesn't hold your hand and it lets you loose into this galaxy or not galaxy into the solar system is just fantastic because there's something you can find around every corner. You know, you're, you start off and that little, little town kind of gives you a microcosm of what to expect in the world. Uh, or, you know, what you're, what you'll be doing but it doesn't prepare you for the vastness and actually getting into the atmosphere and realizing, oh, there's, this is a big empty space. Space is scary and full of wonder. Like the first time I went to Giants Deep, I was just blown away by what I was seeing. I was like, what is going on? And then Giants Deep is a water planet where it's just the entire surface is covered in water and there is there are little islands scattered about and every couple minutes the islands are lifted into the air by the by these tornadoes that are constantly spinning around the island and they shoot you into the upper atmosphere all on these islands and i was not prepared for this and i was just like what is happening oh my god Oh my, am I going to die? And then everything comes down and you're, you're fine. Mostly maybe your ship has been knocked around a little, if you didn't land on the special pads or going to dark bramble for the first time and just the intense eeriness and mystery of that place was really something that I was not prepared for. It was, you know, um, I don't, I don't want to spoil the game too much because the, the sense of exploration and discovering things for yourself is like tantamount to that experience. And there are things you can easily miss, but being able to put everything together yourself, like looking at the, 
groomer map and going, oh, oh, I know what this means. Uh, you know, I had things where I learned about it. And then 20 hours later, I looked at it again and went, oh, oh, this is totally changes everything. So that was very cool to experience. But there are also things I think they've changed it like they had the kind of the last thing you need to do before you can get to the end game was I did not understand it at all, really. And it's very, very specific, but I believe they have changed that or at least given more guidance on how to do it. So it sounds like it's in a better place than when I played it. But even then, the game is just absolutely incredible and everyone should try it and give it a few hours and just experience that game because it's really something special. Uh, And on the same, like, surprising mid-tier indie kind of thing is Disco Elysium. I have not finished Disco Elysium yet, but it's so funny, which I was not expecting going in. It's just bizarre. Uh, It's a murder mystery. Uh, with like point and click adventure with some role playing elements in there uh, for conversations. And one very early moment in the game uh, that I'm going to spoil is, is like the second conversation I had or third conversation. You're staying in a hotel room and you've absolutely trashed it in a drunken stupor that you do not remember. And you're talking to the, uh, the hotel clerk, and manager or whatever his position is. And he was like, you owe me a lot of money for what you've done to that room. And you can, uh, your necktie for some reason is sentient and can speak to you, but only you can hear it. You're kind of losing your mind a little bit at times it seems. And I neckties like, we got to get out of here. We, we can't pay for this. So I was like, yeah, let's, let's duck out on our bill. And instead of just like leaving the conversation and running out, for some reason, the character decides he is going to run away and then jump into the air and give double middle fingers, like turn, jump into the air, turn around and give double middle fingers to the hotel clerk and kind of freeze frames. And you kind of have all these thoughts go through your head. And you're like, why am I doing this? There's someone behind me, isn't there? It's the lady in the wheelchair. And then you collide with the lady in the wheelchair and black out. And I was just like, why am I, why am I going so over the top with this, uh, you know, this ducking out of my, you know, hotel bill. And it's just stuff like that throughout the whole game. The, the clerk looks at you. He's like, I don't know what that was, but you know what? You, you don't have to pay me back for the, for the room, but you do got to, you do got to pay me like $20 per night for, you know, to stay here, which, Hey, that worked out for me. It, even though finding $20 is actually kind of tough in that game for some reason. Uh, but yeah, there's stuff like that. And there's like supernatural, like on the verge of supernatural stuff going on and just finding out reading all of the dialogue, which is very well written is, super interesting and fleshes this world out and fantastic and 
a fantastic way that makes me want to play the game already, even though I haven't finished, uh, even though I haven't finished it because I want to see how it can play out in a different way. If I play like a more physically oriented character instead of a weird, um, like mind melty kind of character where I think I'm a superstar and I also think the world is going to end in some crazy apocalypse type thing. Uh, so it's another one where I think you, it, most people should play this game. Uh, there are some uncomfortable topics handled. Uh, there are a lot of racist characters and you can choose to engage with those racist ideas. Uh, but also it has like a negative impact on how you play the game and the way people think of you. So, you know, if that's how, if that rubs you the wrong way, that's possibly reason to step away. But I think, it does enough to actually it has enough personality and a direction that it a politics it believes in that none of that really matters again i think pat uh, or alex uh, alex i don't think talked about it but pat probably talks about this quite a lot in his section and can speak to it better than i can and we'll talk about it during game of the year i'm sure it's going to come up uh, it's one that is very uh, close to it is on my list, even though I've, I've got like eight games that are for sure on my list, nine now with disco Elysium and one that I'm pretty sure will be on my list, uh, which is life is strange too, but I've only played the first episode and I need to, Oh God, get to that first episode soon or get to the rest of those episodes soon. Um, but from what I've heard, that game is going to be really incredible and like touching and upsetting. So I kind of can't wait, but also I, maybe I don't want to be upset. We'll see. Um, but the and then there's like the kind of other stuff that came out that was surprising, like uh, control was I don't know if like. I don't know how to put it. Control isn't like a super high budget game. I don't think remedy is kind of like a mid tier developer. They had, you know, some support behind them, I think, but the way that game came out, like so rough on consoles makes me think mm, they were <laughs> kind of shoestringing it maybe a little bit, but they put their money into some very smart places. Uh, remedy is very known for their writing. And that just shows up in every single collectible in that game, which is I was playing the game mostly at that point just to find like new collectibles and run around like, oh, what what weird story am I going to get from this thing? Uh, which was very cool. To have like, norm, you know, audio logs, like, OK, yeah, it's all right, whatever. But every story was or every item and thing in the oldest house was so bizarre and unsettling and unique. Eh, unique is maybe debatable. Some people, Alex would say it's derivative of SCP, but um, I think putting the bureaucracy around all that stuff and the way people are like interacting and like, Oh my God, a bunch of sharks just appeared on like the, 
got transported onto like a meeting table from another part of the building is very bizarre. Like what is going on in this place? And the way they handle like spatial, um, like spatial awareness or I don't know. The way you move through space in that game can be very strange. Like the ashtray maze is hands down, probably the coolest thing, coolest moment that I experienced in a game this year. Just like with the music and the uh, the world changing around you. So that's another one I would highly recommend people play. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not like, I don't know. I think this year was very good for games. I started reviewing games this year. Uh, we kind of focused more on the podcast and making it better. And so I don't know. Uh I'm hoping that next year continues to be good and that we like things keep up into the uh, next generation of platforms as they come out, you know, probably November, December next year. Um, Yeah, I I don't think there's going to be like a massive lull like there has been in previous generations as people like spin up. Maybe we'll get like. We'll have a lot more cross-gen stuff, and maybe things won't be as impressive as they will be in a few years. But I think we'll have a pretty steady stream of games still coming out, which will be encouraging because I'm hoping for Resident Evil 8. Uh, I, I'm I'm thinking Resident Evil 8 will launch in 2020, 2021, rather, in that uh, early, early year Q1 2021, which I'm really hoping because Resident Evil 2... Oh, that game's so good. That's that's my favorite game of the year right there, folks. But we'll see uh, where it falls for the rest of the cast in a week or so. Because, uh, ooh, God, that's good. But, yeah, I, I don't know that I have too much more to say other than I think there were some great surprises. Maybe I was a little disappointed by some games. Like, oh, man, what the golf? I forgot about what the golf sign are, Wild Hearts, but I already knew that was going to be really good just from, like, watching that initial trailer. I was, like, mad my friends didn't weren't excited about it when they uh, when Nintendo had it in, like, a Direct, the E3 Direct in last year. Oh, I was like, why did no one tell me about this? But we'll see. Or I guess we we did see, and I was right. That game's amazing. Also... What the Golf, uh, Apple Arcade and Epic Game Store exclusive. That game is so funny. Uh, you can read a review of that and sign our Wild Hearts on the Fix.Space website. But now at this point, I'm just rambling. I don't really know what to say other than, uh, yeah, I think this year was good for games. And I, I hope this year keeps being good for games, really. And I hope you keep listening to our podcast along with us and enjoying games and telling us uh, what you think of games. You know, head over to our Twitter or email us at fix.space to let us know. Uh, Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at CoolSlaw, C-O-O-L-S-L-4-W on Twitter. That'd be cool. The podcast at FixPodcasts on Twitter. So, yeah, you can do that to interact with us and keep up to date. It'll be very cool 
to uh, have more people hopefully listening in after a giveaway. Thanks. Oh, actually, one last thing. I, I can't believe I forgot this. I The biggest surprise for me, honestly, Destiny 2, Shadowkeep. I fell off Destiny after Warmind. I played like Warmind on PC. I didn't go back in for Forsaken because I was like, yeah, I don't want to do the Destiny thing again. Uh, I always get bored and like I run out of stuff to do. Like there's a lot to do. There was a lot to do in the game, but it always felt like, oh, I need to do stuff with uh, other people. I need to be doing like raids and whatnot. And I tried some of the raids, but I came back for Shadowkeep because I heard so many good things about it. And after they went free to play and it's there is so much to do in this game now. And like, I'm never feeling bored. I'm always feeling like I'm working towards something, which I didn't necessarily feel early in earlier iterations of the game. And with like the season stuff, I think is very smart. Uh, I'm yeah. The season of Dawn season of the undying stuff. There are like some issues with it. Maybe it's a little too samey, but if it's rotating out every three months, maybe they don't need to uh, make it too drastically different. But And it's their first uh, shot at this, so I think they're in a very good spot to continue updating and making this game even better than it already is. So I think that is actually going to do it for me. Destiny 2, very good. Surprising myself. Uh, Disco Elysium, Outer Wilds, very good games that I think are some of the most important games of the year. If not, like, the best, they're at least important. And I think most people should give them a look if you are into, like, story-driven RPG games or, like, exploration and, like, sci-fi stuff. And that's going to do it for me. Once again, follow me on Twitter at CoolSlaw, C-O-O-L-S-L-4-W, and the Fix Podcast at Fix Podcasts. Thanks for joining, everybody. Bye. Hello, everybody. So, um, welcome to Sam's British section of the podcast. Um, what I'm going to talk about today is um, not so much my top 10 of the year, as I don't really want to spoil that for the rest of the guys. I like to tell everyone after we've done our game of the year deliberations. But um, I wanted to talk about um, my shortlist. So, I have 15 games here. Five, obviously, are going to get pulled. But um, I've got the 15 that I want to talk about. And uh, I'm just going to run through them in a, a fairly rough order. Most of them are in the order they were released, although I have a few that I added on at the end that I missed when I was running through the list on Wikipedia of 2019 releases. Um, so the first one is actually something that I think no one else is going to have and um, is something that came out I think it was January 1st, 2019, or very close to the beginning of the year. Now, I want to talk about Black Mirror Bandersnatch. Now, Bandersnatch was an interactive film that you played on Netflix. Um, I'm sure that many of the other guys will tell me during the deliberations that this is stretching the limit of what you can and can't consider to be a video game. But uh, I don't care, because this is my segment, and I'll talk about whatever I like. So, I really enjoyed Bandersnatch. Um, I'm not a huge Black Mirror fan, really. Um, but 
this particular short film and the interactivity of it was um, something that I really, really liked. Um, it, it appealed to my um, love of visual novels for trying to get multiple different endings. Sorry, Alex, just uh, had to burp there, if you could edit that one out. Um, yeah, it appealed to my love of visual novels and getting multiple different endings. Um, I really liked the idea that there was kind of no true ending to Bandersnatch. You just got the ending that you got, as it were. Um, my wife uh, played the, the movie as well, and she found that she had kind of completely different endings to me. I looked it up online and I, I, I managed to watch all of the endings by replaying and replaying and replaying. But um, she'd only seen a couple. And when I described the one that I thought was my favourite, which was the White Rabbit ending, um, I re- she it was one that she hadn't seen at all. Um, so in Bandersnatch, you are kind of controlling the fate of of a young computer game programmer who's trying to make a game out of the world's craziest, most in-depth choose-your-own-adventure book. Um, And it's set in the 80s, I think. And um, and there's a lot of really great actors in it. Um, I really enjoyed the kind of entire concept, to be honest. And I'd really like to see something like that again. Um, The... I'll just quick pause there. Again, you could edit that one out. I'll see if I can catch it later. But yeah, so Bandersnatch, I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't want to go too deep into it because honestly, the more I talk about it, the more I'm going to spoil it. Um, but the my favourite thing about it probably was that it took into account and acknowledged the fact that you had played it before or that you had seen other endings. Um, and that you know you were repeating certain scenes and actions in order to try and get new story out of them, make different choices, and the fact that the game acknowledged that and made that part of the story was something that I found really impressive. Moving on, next up we have Slay the Spire. This is a deck building game. I expect you'll see this in Pat's list, um, and maybe in Allison's. I think that she's talked a little bit about it. Uh, basically, in Slay the Spire, it's a roguelike deck building game. You work your way up a spire, and um, it has multiple different character classes to choose from. Each character class has their own deck. And as you go up levels, you earn new cards to add to your deck, and you can shuffle old ones out. Um, I reviewed this game for PS4, absolutely loved it, um, would really highly recommend it. Um, again, don't I, you know, I don't think I need to speak too much about all of these games, really. I don't want to be here for a million hours. But um, uh, anything on this list, I will say now, I would highly, highly recommend. Uh, next up, Life is Strange 2. Um, I've added this to the short list with the hope that I will be able to finish it before the end of the year. I love what I've played. I've only played the first episode and a half. Um, and I'm probably going to have to restart the second episode because those games kind of live and die on being played in one session, I think. Um, so that the the protagonists are great, the two brothers, um, and I can 
you can kind of already tell where it's going to go. Um, having also reviewed Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons this year, I'm expecting something fairly similar. Um, but uh, you play essentially you play two two bro- two young brothers. One's a teenager, one's in early teens, and um, they go they something kind of horrible happens to them, and they have to go on the run. And it's kind of the story of first off how that horrible thing happens, and then how they deal with it whilst they're on the run. It's a pretty cool story. Next up, Steins Gate Elite, something that will definitely be on Alex's list, I'm sure. Um, it's a uh, Steins Gate Elite is a visual novel, which is a remake of the um, original game Steins Gate. I believe it came out like ten years ago, two thousand nine, ten ish. Um, it's a really, really cool sci-fi story that was turned into a really good anime. And what they've done is they've taken the anime and they've cut it into the game, which enables you to um, play through in a much more cinematic way. Probably the most cinematic um, visual novel I've ever played. The majority of visual novels are very static, although that's not the case with something we're going to come to later on. Now, next up is Outer Wilds. And Outer Wilds is probably the game I like least on this short list. Now, the things that I love about Outer Wilds are the ambition. Um, I love the... Um, I really enjoyed the loop mechanic in terms of you have this short loop and you learn something new to learn something new to give you a little bit more of a push on the next loop. The thing that I really, really don't like about it is the repetition so, for example, on one of the planets, I found something at the bottom of a kind of 10, 15 minute walk all the way through the planet's core. I found a really cool area, but then the loop ended. So I had to do that 10 to 15 minute walk again. And then before I'd fully explored that section, I died. So I had to do that entire walk again. And once I died another time, I got to the point where it just was not interesting or fun to walk the same 10 minutes with no new content, no exposition, um, you know, and in some cases almost no music for the entire section. It just wasn't fun. Um, I really, really want to love this game. I love the concept I love the world. I love the design. Um, I just don't like playing it. And the other thing that I would say as well is I think it's really disappointing for the fact that it is um, a a game with so few lines of dialogue that none of it is voiced. I know that getting voice acting and arranging that can cost you know, there's a cost associated. But also, I've played games where the developers have done the voice acting, and if they try and they put some work into it, then it's it's better than having nothing, in my opinion. Um, and the big thing is that, you know, you're sitting there, and there's this really lovely music, there's this really well-designed world, and then you're just reading text off of the screen, which is... 
honestly, it's a, a, a huge mistake in my opinion. And um, I think that if they had helped you streamline the repetition and if they brought the if they brought in some voice acting, this would probably have been maybe even my game of the year or, or close up to there. But I found those two mistakes or those two, I don't know, gaps, lapses in judgment, I found both of those so um, so annoying that it really, really, you know, I found it really disappointing in total as a game. Um, and, you know, it's crazy that I'm talking about this game the way I am, and it's still on my shortlist. But um, that's just how good the majority of everything else in the game is. I also think that whilst it's very cool for the people who don't want direction, that there is no direction in the game at all, I do think that direction should have been optionally added. Um, I'm never going to play this game um, to completion based on the kind of 8 to 10 hours that I've played of it Um, because I don't know how far I am. I don't know how far is to go. I don't know whether I should be in certain areas or not. And the game doesn't make it particularly clear whether the reason I'm not progressing in a certain area is because of a skill gap or a knowledge gap. And that's a huge problem for me as someone who prefers to play games that are easier or that I prefer to play games on lower difficulties so that I don't have to worry about this sort of thing. Um, I play games for an escape and I don't want to be, you know, I don't need to defend my philosophy here, but I play games and I enjoy playing games on the easiest difficulty in the majority of cases. And the big thing that I had the issue with, with Outer Wilds, was I was trying to do a section which I had thought I had the which I thought I had the solution for, and I didn't know whether I was not properly executing that solution or whether I was not doing the right thing. And the game never helps you, never makes that clear. And I essentially put the controller down there and I haven't picked it back up. And I don't really feel any urge to do so. It also ran pretty poorly on my Xbox One. And the game doesn't look good enough to run that poorly, in my opinion. Next up, in, we talked about lapses in judgment. Now we're going to talk about judgment, which is one of my favorite games of the year. Um, I've always, always wanted to get into the Yakuza games by Ryugu... Oh, I can't remember the name of the studio. I think it's Ryo... Ryo Gagatoku. I'm butchering it. Um, the Yakuza developer. Um, who, so the judgment was set in the world of Yakuza, um, however, with none of the characters. So we're using the same locations and a lot of the same systems, mini games, all that sort of stuff, but no... Uh, no Yakuza characters, so no Kiryu, none of... I don't know any other named Yakuza characters. Um, I've always wanted to get into Yakuza. I really, really love the look of those games. I love Shenmue um, back in the day, and they feel like kind of the modern interpretation of the Shenmue spirit. However, the thing that I saw with Judgment 
was that it was completely new. I needed to know nothing about the Yakuza series. I needed to never play, even played a second of them. And so I jumped straight into it. I reviewed this game as well. Um, I loved the story start to finish. It was really well done. And it was much, much longer than I thought it would be. So I was expecting a kind of 18 to 20 hour game. And I think all told, I was over 50 when I finished. Um, and I didn't engage with a lot of the side content from about 25, 30 hours in just mainline the story. So you know, I can imagine that if you're the kind of person who wants to play everything in a game and wants a big, huge, um, kind of expansive world, you can't go wrong with Judgment. There's so much content there. Um, I haven't really talked about anything about Judgment. Um, I'll save that for probably our Game of the Year discussion. Um, but essentially, you play a disgraced lawyer turned private detective um, and you're trying to uncover this mystery where there have been some murdered Yakuza members and that's Yakuza the organization not Yakuza the franchise um, and everything kind of deepens and everything interconnects and it's really cool to follow all these separate plot threads that you think are kind of five different mysteries and then realize eventually that they're actually all the same mystery I don't know if that's something that Yakuza has been doing for years but it's something I really enjoyed in Judgment uh, next on this list I have Dragon Quest Builders 2. I've played 10 minutes of Dragon Quest Builders 2. I'm certain that I will love it because I love Dragon Quest Builders 1 and everyone has said in every review I've read that Dragon Quest Builders 2 is much, much better. I've also got a really good uh, appreciation for Dragon Quest as I beat Dragon Quest 11 this year on Switch, which um, we'll talk about later because that's also on the shortlist. Dragon Quest Builders 2 is essentially um, JRPG Minecraft. So if you like either of those two genres, uh, or if you just love Akira Toriyama artwork, as um, everything is designed based on Akira Toriyama art, um, then I'd highly recommend this game. Um, again, this the re recommendation I'm giving here isn't really based on a personal experience, but um, I am hoping to spend the majority of this weekend with the game. Um, I only got it for Christmas, but... Um, since Christmas, I've just been playing something else which I'll talk about at the end. Um, and it's uh, something that I'm really enjoying. Next up, another Switch game. There's quite a few Switch games on my list this year. Um, Fire Emblem Three Houses. Now, um, I love Fire Emblem. Um, I've played uh, all of the 3DS ones. Um, they didn't really come to Europe before then, or at least I wasn't aware of them before then. Um, so... Uh, I've only got the 3DS kind of history, but um, Three Houses was probably the thing that I was looking forward to most out of the Switch reveal in 2017 or 16, yeah, 2016. Um, and it's finally come out uh, three years later. And I, I honestly would say it lived up to the premise. Um, I loved the idea. They kind of made it much more Persona-y, so you're a teacher at a military school, and uh, your the the your students are kind of your social links, and you can advance them. And they're also your units in battle. So it's kind of like a persona with a three times the size cast, um, set in kind of a fantasy world. Something that um, you know, I think a lot of people may bounce off of it because. Um, there is some aspects of it that I would say aren't great in the opening. So 
walking around the monastery is super, super cool the first time you do it. But then they ask you to do it like 40 or 50 more times. And um, by the end of the game, I was still going around the monastery, but I had optimized that. So the first few hours when I was doing the monastery, it was taking me 40, 45 minutes for each run. Whereas by the end of the game, I think I was struggling, you know, to get more than three minutes worth of action out of my tour around the monastery because I knew what I was doing. I'd go straight from A to B to C and then end the day. Now, um, I do think they should have streamlined that process and made it available as a menu for those people who didn't want to do the 3D exploration. But with 3D exploration being the new big thing for that game, I can understand why they didn't. Uh, I really love the combat system. A lot of people have said it's too easy in the beginning. We talked earlier about how I love easy games, so it didn't bother me at all. Um, I did actually find it a little hard in the end game. I also played the shortest of the stories, the Black Eagles. Uh, I reviewed this game, um, and I wish I had had time to play the other two stories, the Blue Lions and the Golden Eagles, but unfortunately, games... Pardon me. But unfortunately, games continue to release at a fairly frequent pace, so you can't just... I just can't go back to the stuff, really. Um, there's only one game I've gone back to over and over and over this year and uh, I'll talk about that as I said at the end now next up we have um, one of my favourite games for this whole generation um, and I said last year in the game of the year that I thought that God of War was the best game of this generation and I still think that but um, Control is really high up there for me so Control is uh, the new release from Remedy, the studio behind Alan Wake, Quantum Break, Max Payne. Alan Wake is one of my favorite games of all time, uh, although I would say now that Control has superseded it in every respect. Um, Control is a really, really fantastic environment, a fantastic story, um, filled with interesting and weird characters and little moments of awesomeness that are peppered throughout the entire experience. I love how the game plays. Um, so being able to force throw items, being able to levitate, being able to take people over, and having all of these abilities available at the same time in the end game was so good. But being able to just kind of be like a kind of a flying, shooting, magical bullet monster was so cool. Um, the one thing that uh, I don't like about Control, and there is literally one thing, is the checkpointing. The checkpointing's pretty bad in a lot of the most difficult sections of the game. So, um, for example, there is a section quite late on where you have kind of four or five platforms. Each platform is full of enemies, and, you, and it's pretty hard to go to the next one without clearing the previous. However, they don't checkpoint you at any point as you go through these platforms. So you could take 45 minutes clearing the first two, two, two or three, and then die and have to clear them all over again. Eventually, um, after about 10 or 15 tries, when I had actually considered putting the game down forever, even though I loved it, I did push through and I, I finished the section by mostly cheesing it with the um, 
kind of the sniper, the long distance weapon. Um, I'd love to say that um, I went back to this game after I finished it and played loads of the side content, but I didn't. I pushed through the main story and then moved on to the next thing. However, now the DLC is coming out next year, I think that that's going to be one of the first things that I go back to. Next up, a game that I reviewed, AI, The Somnium Files. I had not heard anything about this game until the day of release when Alison and Alex were talking about how great they thought it was going to be and how excited they were for it. I took them at their word and asked the editor of Rapid Reviews for uh, code. He got it for, with, for me within about 10 minutes. I downloaded it on the, and started playing it on the train home. Um, AI The Somnium Files is a visual novel um, with a very cinematic uh, aspect to it. So most visual novels are kind of static images and static locations, and you kind of move through them with the menu. Whereas AI The Somnium Files is kind of fully 3D rendered. It's one of the first um, visual novels that I've played like that. Um, I'd really recommend it. I'm not as hot on it now as I was when it released. I think with some distance from the game, um, I would say that that game is really good, but not incredible. Um, I think there's going to be a big fight over this title at Game of the Year because Alison and Alex really, really uh, kind of fell for it. Whereas this is something that I would say is great. And I would totally recommend it to anyone who wants to play a visual novel or wants to try out a visual novel for the first time. But I think the game's just pretty good. With a, It's a good game with a great story. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think both need to be really great for it to be one of the best games of the year. Next up, a game that I played some of last year, Dragon Quest XI. So in 2018, I played maybe 10 to 20 hours of Dragon Quest XI. And then I decided to wait for the Switch version this year. So I reviewed the Switch version this year. Um, probably my favorite game that I've played this year, or at least my favorite JRPG I've played in this entire generation. It's definitely, I think it's better than Final Fantasy XV. I think it's better than Persona 5. It's just um, an incredible classic JRPG. Um, I only really have one qualm with it, which is that the music is nowhere near as uh, varied as I would expect from other games. Um, the majority of the time you're listening to pretty much the same music. So there'll be like a music for towns, a music for exploring the world, and those music tracks don't change all all that often so if you visit a new town often you may be hearing the same exact music you were in the previous which is a bit of a failing i think um especially because i mean i'm going back to one of the first jrpgs i ever played which is final fantasy 7 and i always remember the cosmo canyon music the midgar music all these things have stuck in my head and yes i can hum to you the town music from dragon quest 11s um but Maybe I can hum that to you because I've heard it so much after playing the game for, God, like 60 or 70 hours. Um, the coolest thing about Dragon Quest XI um, is something that was in the original release, so you can't really credit the Switch version for it, but it's the 
um, post-game. When you finish the game, you beat the big bad, you settle down, and then uh, the characters go, well, we've got a couple more things that we wanted to do. And so you kind of start on this extra bit, and that extra bit turns into a complete and utter huge change for the story. Something that I thought was you know, way beyond anything I'd ever seen in a JRPG. Um, and um, I'd almost say that it was more interesting than the whole main story put together. If you're going to play Dragon Quest XI-S, strap in, be prepared to play for 70 or 80 hours to get to the best content and know that the content as you get up to it is still really, really, really good. Next up, What the Golf? Uh, first of the Apple Arcade games on my list. What the Golf, I played a majority on my phone. The best thing about What the Golf is uh, the show to a friend mode. So I thought What the Golf was pretty fun, but didn't super care for the overworld where you kind of push the golf ball into holes and unlock doors. And There's a lot there. Um, and I don't think the majority of that needed to be there. I think the majority of what's fun with that game is playing the golf. And um, that made me laugh so much all, all the time. I just wished that there were no gaps in between. The show a friend mode is exactly what I wanted. Um, I, give me that 10 times as long. And that's basically the perfect phone game. Um so my message to what the golf guys, great game, terrible overworld. I don't know. It's it almost seemed like they were padding the game out because they were afraid that the golf wouldn't stand on its own. Um and and you know, that seems a bit silly really, because the golf is one of the most fun experiences I've had this entire year. I've never passed my phone to somebody and just had them in tears laughing. Um, as much as I did with What the Golf. Next, Apple Arcade game. Assemble with Care. This game is super awesome. It's really short. It's really fun. I reviewed this as well. Um, this game is essentially you are like a repair person and you are going through these stories and each chapter you have to repair an item and talk to the person before and after repairing the item about what the item means to them. Um, it's a really, really great game. The story is lovely. It's really wholesome. Uh, the atmosphere is really summery because you're kind of in this beach town. Um, and it was just something that I really enjoyed. It's really wholesome. I finished it in two settings, I think, and just would highly recommend it. It's free with Apple Arcade. So, if you have Apple Arcade, get out there and get playing. One last one. This is one of the ones that I forgot off the list. Outer Worlds. I've not finished this game. I understand that it gets weaker the longer you play it. I'm probably about 15 hours in and I'm still really enjoying it. Um, actually, 15 is probably an exaggeration. I would say probably close to 10. So close to 10 hours in, I'm really, really enjoying it. It's hard to play a game like that and concentrate on something like that when you have a newborn baby, which is why I haven't gone back to it. But um, I'd really recommend it. And again, it's free on Game Pass. Um, 
a lot of the things that I've said today, you could probably pray for free in different ways, um, which is crazy. 2019 is kind of the year of the subscription service. But uh, Outer World is kind of a mix between Fallout and Mass Effect. So give me the gameplay, roughly, of Mass Effect with the um, first-person viewpoint and the sense of humor of a Fallout game. Now, I don't really like Fallout, but I love Mass Effect. And I really enjoyed what I've played of um, Outer Worlds because, you know, it's been a while since there's been a good Mass Effect game. Not since Mass Effect 3, really, have we seen a game in that mold, the Mass Effect slash Dragon Age Bioware mold, that's been good. Anthem was bad. Um, Andromeda was terrible. And I for one, hated Dragon Age Inquisition. So it's just really nice to get back to something that is the kind of game that I enjoy. And here we are. End of the list. End of the road. So the game that um, I almost didn't play, a game that I had forgotten was coming out, and a game that um, I never thought I would get as obsessed with. It's Pokemon Shield. So, Pokemon Shield is probably the front runner for my game of the year. Um, I'm absolutely in love with this Pokemon experience. Whether it's because I haven't played a Pokemon in several years, and yes, I acknowledge that it's not doing anything particularly new or different apart from the wild area, I would acknowledge that the game graphically isn't very good, I would also say that it has the same issue that I had with Outer Wilds in that none of the dialogue is voiced. But I'll tell you what that game does have. It has an incredibly fun world to explore. Um, it has a load of awesome Pokemon to catch. And it's just kind of... I love games where you have to spend you know, half as much time as you are playing the game looking at wikis for and things like I've been looking up like um, how to evolve certain Pokemon into rare forms how to catch and how to obtain the um, really rare Pokemon you know I've played this game for 80 hours I only have about 30 Pokemon left and of those 30 Pokemon only two of them can actually be caught in my game all the others I'll have to trade with members of People who have Pokemon Sword. It's. So, as I was saying, sorry about that interruption, just uh, somebody walked in. Now, um, Pokemon Shield. So, as I was saying, great Pokemon. Loving having all this kind of depth and all these mysteries in the game that I'm having to use wikis and Reddit and other sort of stuff to solve. Um, again, I'm going to talk probably quite a lot about this game at Game of the Year. Amusingly, it's probably not something that I would put forward for any category. I wouldn't put it for music. I wouldn't put it for best new characters. I wouldn't put it for, um, you know, pretty much anything except for Game of the Year. So, I mean, like I said, this is one of the front runners for me. And I do think that it's probably going to be a struggle to even get it into the top 10 with the group of guys, but um, I'm going to try. 
Um, I think that's probably a good place to end it. Um, as uh, I've now recorded for longer than Pat, and I intended to do a short five, ten minutes. So um, thanks everyone for listening. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at SGCH. You can have a shout at me about my list. Um, I would love to hear if you've played any of the games on my list and you've got something that you would like to talk about. Um, if you um, you know would love, if you'd like to, it'd be great if you'd recommend the podcast to a friend. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts or um, kind of um, you know suggest us on Spotify or any sort of other thing. It's great um, when we get new listeners to the podcast. I know we've got a load of new Twitter followers. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Fix Podcasts. Um, and if you want to send any emails in, anything you'd like us to discuss, or if you think that there's something that we're going to miss out of our game of the year and you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email to gaming at fix.space, um, or you can just get at us on Twitter. That's probably the best place because all of us will see it then. Okay, thanks again for listening, uh, and I will speak to you soon. Thank you.